Thank you for tuning in to Not Suitable for Anyone. As a reminder, if you'd like to financially support the show, don't. Just help other people find us by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or just telling a friend. If you do want to put your hard-earned dollars to work to support our mission, here's what you can do. Buy or rent movies. Redbox, iTunes, Vudu, it doesn't matter. Hell, even an old-fashioned Blu-ray. Leave a review on Letterboxd or Amazon and tell them that you heard about it right here on Not Suitable for Anyone. Like I'm built, I'm built for a bad movie marathon. But if yes, you if are. Sleeping's yes, not, you are. <laughs> but if sleeping's not allowed, like I, I can't, I can't go three hours without a nap. <laughs> it's funny how when you're a kid, you never wanted to go to, you know, go to bed and take a nap when you're supposed to. And as an adult, you're like, oh my gosh, please just let me fall asleep for 15 minutes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's that's that. a thing. That's the thing I'm gonna miss when uh, when we do when we go back to the office is like now like like that uh, like around like two or two thirty mm. in the afternoon I'm like okay yes. I haven't gotten any slacks in a while there's yeah. no new emails coming in like my next meeting's not for an hour and a half like I'm just gonna go lay down in bed for the next twenty minutes Absolutely. and I you know and you come back and I come back legitimately I I feel refreshed and I feel better I can you know I can finish out the day but like you can't do that although I did have one friend. Um, back in the old days when I was working, working for Ford, I had one friend who like, she would crawl like under her cube, like under the desk <laughs> in her cube and like pull the chair in. And I guess like no one could see her and she would, she would just crawl under there for like an hour and take a nap. <laughs> That's amazing. And they really should like, like how hospitals have like a little room with some bunk beds and, and whatnot. They should have one of those at every corporate office. Oh Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I just need like 30 minutes, guys. I'll be right. Yeah, back, I bet Google has them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I threatened to, you know, they have those, uh, they sell those, uh, those little like those little hammocks that pack down into like a pouch, you know, for like backpacking okay, yeah. trips and stuff. And, uh, and I threatened for, for a while to just get one of those <laughs> and I'll just like anchor it to, to a couple of studs in the corner of the office. He's going to stop you. <laughs> Well, should we uh, should we get down to business before it gets too yeah, late? Yeah, probably. Is, probably is all should. of this banter going into the episode? Uh, some of it will. <laughs> <laughs> this will be the cold open. <laughs> Excellent. I haven't done an episode like this in a while. Like it's just going to be us. Uh, I don't know if you guys have been listening recently. I kind of I kind of changed up the format and did like a little news segment because there was always stuff I wanted to talk about and could never figure out like yeah. how to fit it in. And I'm like, well, I'll just do that, and then I'll have the interview like at the end. Um, so, but, but this week I just, I just don't have that. I don't have that together. And I think this will be, this will be a little bit longer of a discussion. Um, cause I'm, I'm excited to get into this. So, um, yeah, we're all, we're all, while we're, while we're into it, um, you know, welcome. Hello. You're listening. Uh, you're live. Not really. Uh, I'm live <laughs> with, uh, me too. My good buddies, uh, Jeremy Burgess and Chance Shirley, a re- repeat guest on the show say hi guys hi guys, hi guys. i i'm very honored that i finally got an invite since this is chance's third time around the sun i is it is it the third already? i've listened to two oh, I guess that we, you yeah, were we on talk, at least two yeah we we yeah yeah we talked with chuck one time that's and then right i, think I talked with patrick without chuck yeah because so, you, yeah. you had multiple yeah. movies 
You've made you've yeah, made yeah. multiple feature films. <laughs> Indeed, I have. Of the three of us on this podcast, we have three feature films made between us. Between the three of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah all all of them though jeremy's oh, written yeah. though jeremy's probably written a lot more scripts than i have so i guess that's true but uh we're finally gonna get one shot eventually so are y'all still are y'all still planning to start in the fall or is that got pushed back again or or and, and tell me if that's not something we can talk about oh it's right fine now. uh yeah for everyone at home uh we're shooting a film in the fall unless the virus gets a lot worse i guess and yeah, Lord Willen and the Creek don't right. rise. Yeah, <laughs> Lord Willen. Did you did you know that that phrase is actually the Creek Indian tribe and not like a body of water? <laughs> oh my god! I didn't gosh, know that. No. But... Someone, someone Lord Willen and we my don't get mastered by these people whose land we've taken. <laughs> don't quote me if if I'm way off, but someone told me that once, and I looked yeah. it up and confirmed it, and I was like, wow, that's amazing that's wild yeah that's that that that's a that's a movie my gosh um yeah. i was always assuming it was like a when the levee breaks led zeppelin sort of thing yeah know? well i mean if you think about it a creek is like the least intimidating body of water so like if, <laughs> if the creek rises what is it gonna do like it might get your feet cut. Yeah, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Um, so anyways, yeah, so Jeremy's Jeremy's uh, supposed to go into production on a feature film Indeed. in the fall, which sounds super exciting. Um, and while we're pimping Jeremy's movie, they should go out to Seed and Spark and send you guys some money. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Hey, well, the campaign's over, but you can always send me money. I will, I will never refuse <laughs> it. I'm sure you guys can use more money to make a movie. You always need more money to right. make a movie. Yeah, right, yeah. It definitely won't hurt. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, uh, that's called Don't Die? Correct. Don't yeah. Die. Aptly named. Yes, a good motto, <laughs> a general tenet of living, I would say. Indeed, all right. Um, all right and Chance, man, what's, uh, what's new with you, man? It's been, uh, it's been a few months since you've been on. Yeah, um, not much. I have been. Um, it's a funny story we were talking about that, that me and my guys have done like three features over the last, you know, 15 years or whatever. The the guys that I make movies with, um, our first movie, um, I think we made, we figured out that basically this is like our 20 year anniversary as, as Cruelist, which oh. is the name of our production company. Wow. Um, yeah, which is insane because that makes me feel very, very <laughs> old. But at the same time, it's cool that, you know, it's cool that we're still friends at this point and haven't, you know, driven each other crazy or or, yeah. or whatever. So um, there's actually a short that we're wanting to do. The first it was supposed to be the it's a it's a spoof on like 50 science fiction movies. Um, it's like a it, it'll be like a five minute short. It was supposed to be the first cruelest movie 20 years ago, and we didn't make it for some reason. Hmm. And we found the script a few months ago. And I was like, oh, my gosh, Chuck, uh, my buddy Chuck, who I make movies with, uh, wrote the script. And I read, I read the script again, and I was like, I mean, he like wrote this on like a typewriter, you know. I mean, this is how old the script. He didn't have like, you know, he didn't have like final draft or That's whatever. Incredible. I say it's a typewriter. He might have written it in like Word, but he didn't have. He had to like format it by hand, you know. Printed it out. Like so anyway, yeah, the, the printed paper with the holes on no, the side. No, he he printed it. Um, I think he well, he either he either typed it on a typewriter or he printed it on a laser printer. The the the, the quality of the of the print is actually fine, you know. But it's just like photocopied from this, you know, draft that he had years Did ago. Did he fax it to you? But, um, but... <laughs> <laughs> 
No, he scanned it and emailed he it to me. We, you, he, we have the technology now. <laughs> <laughs> it's just he didn't have it when he wrote it. Anyways, it's a very old script, but I read it again, and I was like, wow, Chuck, this is really fun. I mean, it really – I was kind of shocked at how well it held up, you know. So we started talking about um, about shooting that, and we're hoping to do that this fall. But um, we've just had, well, you know, there's still a pandemic going on, and yada yada yada. So mm-hmm. uh, we've had some some setbacks. But but I'm 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 still hoping, you know, as soon as we can get our our ducks in a row, you know, we're going to do that short. And of course, it's just a five minute short. So I'm hoping that Sidewalk will show it. We'll submit it to our local film festival and keep our fingers crossed that they like it, that they still like us, you know, because it's been a while. But um, but other than that, um, you know, I mean, I'm always, you know, bullshitting with friends about, oh, we should do this and we should do that, but nothing concrete going on right now. So, all right, awesome. We'll see what happens with the short and, and kind of yeah. go from there. Fingers crossed. That's cool. God, 20, yeah, 20 years. That's, you know, I, I felt old the other day because I've been listening to the to Lithium on uh, Sirius XM. I'm glad somebody else has <laughs> uh, has old school uh, satellite radio like me and my oh, wife. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, well, I've been trying to give my kids uh, and their friends like a thorough education on on '90s uh, alternative and grunge music. So it's just let them watch Fear Street. Except I want them to hear <laughs> yeah. more than five seconds of a song before we move <laughs> to the next song. Okay. Uh, that's... <laughs> and how old are your kids? So, Remind yeah, me. they're uh, they're 13 and 15. You know, my niece is 18, um, and she seems to love all the stuff that we grew up on. You know, it's it's interesting how I don't know what it is about that generation. I shouldn't judge a whole generation by by, by <laughs> one niece, but you know, um, it seems like her and friends like all those bands that we liked in college or high school, depending on your age. You know, so yeah, yeah the 90s music. I mean, like Gen Z are walking around in Nirvana shirts, right? Yeah, well, you could yeah, you could buy yeah. them at Target now, like. Yeah, it's it's weird. <laughs> I I almost got one the other day because I'm like I'm like I had this shirt <laughs> you know, when I was like 15. Like, like am I really right before it was mass produced for Target? <laughs> Kurt would have wanted it that way. That's right. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. guys. So, also, I, I have to debunk myself. The the Creek thing is not true. I looked. <laughs> oh, looked it man, up. that was such a great story. Wikipedia says it is sometimes thought that the word Creek refers to the Creek people, but this is not the case. <laughs> so I'm not the only one that thought that. At least. Okay. So, but yeah, speaking of so speaking of, of Kurt of Kurt Cobain, I was I was listening the other day, and they were talking about uh, Pearl Jam. Their Pearl Jam's doing a. Uh, yeah, they've got all the anniversaries, big anniversaries coming up of ten, and mm-hmm. uh, I think Vitalogy. I think. Yeah, Pearl Jam celebrating their like thirtieth. Well, they're yeah, they're, well, they're doing like uh, yeah. Oh no, I'm sorry, it wasn't Pearl Jam. It was Foo Fighters. Foo Fighters like next year because they were supposed to do the tour last year and got canceled because of COVID. So next yeah. year they're they're doing their twenty sixth anniversary tour. Oh my gosh. Um, and pretty funny. And I thought about that, and I'm like, that means that in like a year from now. They will have existed for as a band for longer than Kurt Cobain was alive. Yeah, yeah, and that was the band that he had. That was the band that Dave Grohl had after he had his big breakthrough band. Good grief! (laughs) That yeah, put me in the grave right now. (laughs) Yeah, I always think of Foo Fighters as kind of one of those you know grunge one point one bands because they were early, but they obviously weren't in you know the first wave was like Nirvana, you know, so they were in like the the one point one wave or or which would have been I don't know three or four years later. Right. Um yeah, I still remember driving home, gosh, I think I was down in the woods in Montevallo and hearing the Foo Fighters on the radio for the first uh time. It was um um 
visiting is pretty visiting yeah. is good um you know uh and and i was like what is this this is so good <laughs> and then i found out it was dave Grohl playing all the instruments and i was like of course it's dave Grohl playing all the instruments you know <laughs> oh yeah yep yeah and i i made a joke i made a joke a few months back on twitter about uh about how allison chains only wrote one song and they just kept playing the same song and they tricked us into thinking that they were different songs and i mean that's a little bit fair but to be absolutely <laughs> fair, actually, the Foo Fighters did that. Like, every single Foo Fighters song sounds the same. That's a really good song. <laughs> and then, and it, it just got a little bit worse over the years. <laughs> but it's the same. It just got a little more. They, adult contemporary they left over that the same years. song out in the sun. And now it's all wrinkled and faded. But Dave, Dave Grohl is one of the purest souls, I think, on the, uh, on the planet. So. He's great. He was he was he was playing. Um, I caught some of them on Hulu. Was showing the um, Lollapalooza show. Uh, sweet. Uh, just a few weeks ago, and uh, I caught some of the Foo Fighters set. And he's Dave's daughter is like seventeen or eighteen now, and she came out and sang. You know the band X from California, yeah, yeah. the punk band. She came out and did a duet with Dave, and they sang an X song together. Wow. And she was singing all the harmonies and. The kid can. I was like, "Oh my gosh, Dave Grohl is so Dave Grohl is old enough now that he has a daughter that's old enough to be in a rock band, you know, and she's really good." <laughs> yeah. And it's just, it's oh my gosh, yeah, I'm just a dinosaur, you know. I just feel older and older, but but yeah, I do, I do feel like that Dave Grohl strikes me as a legitimately, um, a legitimately genuine like rock and roll nerd, you know. I think he really does love all that stuff. He's a force for good, even though I haven't listened to a Foo Fighters album since like 2004, so. <laughs> Um, but like as a human, he, he's about as good as they get in that industry. Yeah. Yeah. No. He really does. If, if not, he's got us all. <laughs> <laughs> so, so now that we've uh, cemented ourselves as, uh, as the old fogies in the room, <laughs> um, let's, uh, let's talk about a movie from 1974 that, uh, that you guys both brought up, uh, Capricorn one. I don't, I think it was 70, 78, 78? actually. Okay, I had seventy four yeah, in my head yeah. for some reason. Because, because I had to get out the. I was. I started thinking about. Uh, I. I'm really. I'm really fond of the movie. Um, I might have been the one who taught both of you guys into watching it. Actually, I you don't did. know. If, Patrick, had you seen it before? I or? had not seen it before. Okay. Yeah, okay. It was the first time. For um, me. but I. Um, as fond as I am of it, I was not sure if it was one of those post Star Wars cash in <laughs> kind of movies, you know, and and it hit theaters. Um. It hit theaters apparently. Um, well, it hit theaters in Japan like six months after Star Wars premiered. So really? I think that it was. I think it would have had to have been in production before Star Wars actually came out. You know, um, so it was apparently more tying into the '70s conspiracy thriller phase, or as opposed to cashing in on the the '70s science fiction phase. If that makes any sense, just based on the release date, I I, I don't. Unfortunately, I also looked, and I don't think the director has ever done a commentary track on any of their Laserdisc or DVDs. So that that really bummed me out because um, I would really—I mean, I think it's a really well-directed movie, and I'd love to hear what he had to say about it. You know, kind of beat by beat. Yeah, that's and it's uh, and it's the director of some classic uh, classic movies. I'm gonna try to remember off the top of my head, but uh, Time Cop. Um, was oh, I forgot all about yeah, Time Cop. Peter yeah. Himes. He made Time Cop. He made uh, another Van Damme. Um, 
But uh, yeah, real. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up while we're talking because yeah, he he has this um, he has this like penchant for these really like out there concepts. Like this this movie actually feels like really grounded compared to uh, some of his other films. So he did Time Cop, he did Sudden he Death, did, he did End of Days, and End of Days, yeah, and uh, <laughs> and one I have not seen, 2010, the year we make contact, which I haven't seen, which is I mean. The the guy made the guy made a sequel to two thousand one. Yeah. Say what you will about him, he's got balls yeah. of brass. <laughs> yeah, that's that's amazing. I think the only way you could top that would be to do a sequel to Citizen Kane. You know, as far as just from sheer hut spot. <laughs> they kind of they kind of did a prequel with Mank to Citizen Kane with Mank. Like a meta prequel. Oh, I forgot about that. You know, that's a good point. Yeah, we'll yeah. have to give Fincher some credit for uh, for, thought, for for being for being I thought, bold. Uh, I thought well. Cool Runnings yeah. was the sequel to Citizen Kane. Also true. Also true. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler for uh, Citizen Kane and and, uh, and Sled Joe. You guys, so, uh, you know, fair yeah. warning. If, 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 if you, you guys see the Citizen you guys Kane. see the Criterion cover for yeah, it's, the Citizen it's not Kane. Much, yeah, the big there's not much to it. Yeah, just uh. I guess when you're Citizen Kane, you don't need a cover, you know. When it's a big, it's a big K because it's 4K, you know, so it's more K than the old. Uh, the old okay. <laughs> All I saw was one K, and you don't want to do three. You got to either do two or four. <laughs> so yeah, so this is this is a movie that I, I even I hadn't even heard of um, until chance until you were you were talking about it. I hadn't either. Um. So. It's a fairly yeah, it's a fairly deep cut. Um, I used to see it like in the in the dollar bins at like Walmart That's and stuff. Wild. But I, I I at some point it it got in my mind. I was like, I need, and maybe I saw it on TV. Maybe it played on NBC back a hundred years ago. You know, as the movie of the week or whatever. But at some point, it was one of those things where I was I used to have the uh, because I'm old. I had the <laughs> Netflix rent DVDs by mail, you know, yep, for years. And at some point, I was like, oh, I'm going to get that Capricorn One movie, you know, and and I got it you know, home and, and watch it. And I was like, this is really good. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's, it's just, I don't want to say it was punching above its weight because at least according to the IMDb, the budget was like $5 oh, million, dollars, which was a lot of money in looks, 1975 it, or 76. It looks expensive you know? as hell. <laughs> but yeah, the, there's you a know, plane the chase the, for Christ's sakes. There's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the stunts. Yeah. And, and I was reading IMDb trivia, the, uh, the, the some of the stuntmen who worked on the plane chase said that it was the most dangerous thing he'd ever been a part of. <laughs> I don't know how much more dangerous it gets than a plane chase. So, yeah. well, they and they yeah. ran a, and, they ran a and, car off a bridge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was which. Yeah. 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 Um. But just you know, they got Jerry Goldsmith to do the uh, to do the the score, mm-hmm. and I mean, he's he did Star Trek, the motion picture and a bunch of Star Trek movies and planet of the apes. I mean, you know, Logan's run his, I mean, the guy's a genius, you know, um, they got, um, Ellie, you know, the, the, the actor, the cast is really good. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I think because it's a lot of like really solid character actors, you know, Elliot Gould and Karen black and people like that who are not necessarily a plus actors, but they're all like really well. I think most of them are really well-respected yeah. actors. Um, we do need to mention that OJ Simpson is in the movie. I think he's really good in <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, he was surprisingly You know, OJ kind of. What, what I thought was hilarious is like, oh, for for the number of scenes and, and the amount of screen time that OJ has, he has very few lines. He really does. Yeah, that yeah, had to be yeah, on purpose. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think 
Well, and again, this is more, um, there's actually, the O.J. Simpson Made in America documentary, um, Hyams actually talks about O.J. Oh, really? And he was like, you know, yeah, he was like, you know, I got I got saddled with him because the, the, <laughs> the producers wanted, because he was, I mean, O.J. Simpson well, was a huge yeah. star oh, yeah. this in was, the mid Yeah, because this was, he hadn't done a lot of movies, I don't, had he done movies before this one? Because I know he did a lot of stuff after this. Um. Yeah, now I'm trying to remember. This would have been one of his earlier. Towering I mean, and he had done those. You, that's right. That's right. Yeah, he did a um, few before, and that was this. one that Himes mentioned. Yeah, so he yeah. Did, he had done. I guess he had done Towering Inferno before this. Um, but this is this is like way before like Naked Gun, uh, and like stuff that would that you know that that's actually like you know recognized. That's the that's one thing that surprised me is like is the cast for this movie. That this movie is so underground, but it has all these big names in it with, you know, Elliot Gould, James Brolin, um, you know, Hal Holbrook. Like, really oh my gosh, well yeah, yeah. But again, I, just... I, I, I think that I, I think they're big names in the sense of, of to me, they're like well respected character actors, but there's no, there's no, um, I mean, Elliot Gould is maybe the closest to like a because I mean he had a pretty good career as a as a lead guy yeah. for, for there for a while in the seventies, yeah. and he's know. the top build actor um, I think in the yeah. which would make sense, yeah. you know. Um, and and you know, speaking of, I wonder since this movie is so um, you know uh, relatively obscure, if we should explain to the listening audience who may be unfamiliar with it what we're talking <laughs> about. I just realized we, we just jumped right jump into right it, in. but yeah. Um, so, well, Chance, do you want to? You 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 want to? I mean, it's 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 it? it's pretty straightforward. Um, there's this NASA uh, there's this NASA like executive who uh, has promised uh, America and the world a Mars a manned mission to Mars, and he realizes um, late in the game that it's not going to work. So he decides to fake it. Um, so this you know keep in mind this came in the this this is like a post watergate movie so it's a conspiracy thriller yep. um about the the shady guys in the government trying to pull one over on you know the american people and, and the world yeah. at large and it's a post um, like apollo missions so movie too like we had already we had already landed men on right the moon right right at this point this this was like after we'd been in the moon but 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 after also, you know, we went to the moon in the late 60s and then in the 70s, these conspiracy theories started coming out about, well, maybe we didn't go to the moon and maybe it was all faked, you know, which doesn't really hold water. But and, and, and honestly, as much as I like Capricorn one, I think it's a really solid thriller um, to, to, to spoil it mildly. Um, there's a there's a fake Mars mission. The government tries to cover it up by offing the three astronauts involved. And then, like the back half of the movie is basically a, a, an adventure chase movie with these three astronauts trying to escape from the the evil government and you know warn the world that you know about the about the scheme or whatever. Um, but um, I, I lost my train of thought when I was explaining that. Um, the it, it, it's uh, it, it happens in a in, in a post Apollo world after we went to the moon, but when there were conspiracy theories about it and. Um, you know, it 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 feels a little cynical, but that was the time. I mean, it was a cynical time, yeah. you know. And and I'm curious. I, I'm I'm really kind of interested in the other movie that we're going to talk about is a more modern conspiracy thriller about a fake moon landing. And and I think that I hadn't heard of that one until Patrick recommended it, and I was kind of surprised that I hadn't heard of that one because I thought that it was a really cool movie and was really well done. 
that one's called Operation Avalanche, but I don't know if we want to start jumping back and forth between <laughs> yeah, them until no, we no, get we'll, through explaining we'll, Capricorn we'll, 1. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. But yeah, I, uh, so, so here's the thing. Like, I don't, I don't recommend arguing with conspiracy theorists. Um, I cer- <laughs> and, and I certainly don't recommend arguing facts with conspiracy theorists because facts don't matter to these people because any, any fact, they only accept facts that fit their, like, worldview and any fact that you, you offer. Has that been a problem lately? People like that? <laughs> I, I haven't. I haven't really heard of any. Right. Any. <laughs> but is there? There's something going but, on. But, but but if you can argue with a conspiracy theorist on the fundamental like idea of their conspiracy, I think that I think you can blow the moon landing conspiracy out of the water because Apollo 11 was in 1969. Okay. If NASA was, and if NASA was willing to fake landing on the moon in 1969. It's it's 2021. We would have colonies on Mars by now. <laughs> as far as as we far knew. as we knew, right? Like like they would be like, okay, well, right. we we got away with that. We could fake anything. Like people aren't going to know. Like I would. Who would know? You wouldn't know. If, like like oh yeah, you know like they would plant moles around in communities and say yeah, you know my cousin's on Mars. Like here's he sent me his photo from Mars, and you know and like Photoshop's really good these days, and. You know. that's 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 very so, true yeah yeah and, and and that was actually when i lost my train of thought that was what i was going to say um the, the the problem with 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 i think the the conspiracy in in both movies we're talking about today um you know i just don't think they scale um somebody somebody said that people who believe in conspiracy theories have never um managed a group of five employees at a you know have never like been a metal middle manager at like a tech company and it's really it's true. true i mean it's, so it's hard to get like five people to get on the same page <laughs> about like, you know, building a website or, you know, whatever it is that you do for a living. Um, can you imagine how many people at NASA that you would have to convince to, 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 to join in this conspiracy and never tell anybody about it and not screw it up. And, and, and it, and it's the same problem. It, it's, it's, it's my one gripe with, with Capricorn one. I think it's a really solid and a really entertaining movie and it works great as a chase thriller, you know, in the back half. But the idea that one guy at NASA with maybe two or three, um, well, I guess they don't really say how many how many people are in on it with the director at NASA who's who's in charge of the conspiracy. It seems like it's a lot. But I mean, we got to assume it's. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, yeah. And but also it's not the guys like in Mission Control, you know, they're they're like the the ones that are like saying, hey, yeah, this seems kind of fishy. These transmissions aren't coming back like we would expect them to. And Hal Holbrook's like, oh, don't worry about it. It's just probably something wrong with the computer. And I'm like, dude, these guys, these are rocket scientists, dude. They're not going to just fall for like your, your, your like, you know, you're like, oh, just, you know, never mind the man behind the curtain thing. I mean, they're going to figure it out, you know. So, so, so that's, that's the one place where I feel like that, that the movie, um, that I feel like the movie, but again, it's a, it's, 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 it's a, it's, it's a, it's really an, it's almost as much of an action adventure movie as it is a conspiracy movie, you know. So I think it's okay that they kind of play fast and loose with some of the details yeah, of the conspiracy yeah. to get to the to get to the funding games at the end of the movie. And interestingly enough, Operation Avalanche also has a moment where they're like, "Oh, the guys in the control room, they won't know." It's pretty brief, but like, yeah, yep. they're like, oh, they'll just be watching it and they'll think it's real. It's like, uh, okay, <laughs> yeah. I guess. I, don't, yeah. I mean, that'd yeah. be a good movie if you want to commit a hundred <laughs> rocket scientists. Yeah, and that's the. I mean, we're, so getting a little, getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but yeah, I, I was totally, I was totally convinced 
after watching Capricorn one, watching these two movies back to back, that um that that Matt Johnson uh, and the other guys that made Cap- that made Operation Avalanche absolutely have watched and are big oh, fans yeah. of Capricorn one. Like, there's no That'd question be- in my mind. Uh, yeah. But yeah, and I think I mean the obviously the 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 plausibility of the conspiracy. I mean that's like the big conceit of of Capricorn One. I mean you you don't buy into that, then there's no movie. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's sort of like if you're watching it. You know, it's 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 like watching a stand up bit, and if you don't agree with the premise of the joke, then you're not going to laugh at the joke. And it's the same thing with a movie. Like if you if you can't just sort of accept that, okay, this is the the reality they're presenting, then you're then you're probably not going to. Um, not going to enjoy it but if you are then then yeah i think all that like all the the chase stuff and the thriller stuff is all done really well but what i was not prepared for um chance was how funny this movie is this movie is <laughs> oh elliot hilarious. gould is is a yeah. monster yeah 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 and elliot and, gould uh, and sam it, waterston um, uh, sam waterston yeah sam waterston playing <laughs> the like, we're dead the, the, shit and, and I seriously was such a terrific guy <laughs> 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 the the dynamic between the, the 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 character dynamics between him and uh Groden and OJ Simpson's character the three astronauts it's really that that's the thing the the script uh and I, I believe I'm pretty sure that Himes wrote the script and directed yeah. it you know I mean the the script if if you're willing to 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 throw in your suspension of disbelief that the that uh, Howard Holbrook's character could pull the conspiracy off you know the script is 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 crackerjack. I mean, it's a lot of fun, and and you know the dialogue is sharp, and um and, and yeah yeah it's 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 to, you know to me all great drama. I'm trying to I, I say all great dramas. Um, it's really hard for me to think of a great drama that doesn't have a, a pretty good sense of humor. You know yeah. Um and 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 I think that the Capricorn One is one of those movies that kind of proves that rule. You know there there's definitely uh there there's definitely a, a sharpness and a, and a lightness to the dialogue that 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 kind of gets you between the, the the rough the the more you know heavy dramatic parts. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, all the stuff with with Gould talking to uh, to Karen Black. At the, oh yeah. When they when they when they first get to, they first get introduced and stuff and and uh, yeah, she's really <laughs> she, funny in it too. Yeah. Great. Oh, she can dish it right back to. Yeah. Her. She's like, okay, you're feeding me this line, and she's like. He's like, why don't you just say you want to jump me? He's like, will that work? Oh. He's like, well, it's better than whatever this bullshit is. <laughs> and he goes, okay, I want to jump you. And she just says, go jump yourself. And I'm like, god damn, that's so good. Like, yeah, that was like, really it, good. it reminds me of, like, a lot of that reminded me of broadcast news. Oh, okay. Sure. So, yeah. Um, and then, and, and of course, that tradition goes all the way back to um, Howard Hawks and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, his girl Friday yeah. and everything. Oh, another classic. One of my favorites. Oh, one of my all-time favorites is Girl Friday. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I wrote down everything. Everything that Sam Waterston says, pretty much, is hilarious. <laughs> you know, it's it's gold. Cool. Like Hal Holbrook walks into the conference room and he just looks at him and goes, "So a funny thing happened on the way to Mars." <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. And uh, you know, and when like they're they're on the you know, when they when they steal the plane to get away and the and the you know and there's no gas in it, he's like, "I told you never to take a trip without checking the tank." <laughs> like like in these in these life or death moments where they're running for their lives, like he's got time to to crack jokes and and it could you know and and it could all be just for comic relief and that would be fine, but it sets up this really long bit in the back half of the movie where he's like, he's clearly like going crazy 
and he's mm-hmm. talking to himself and he's telling this joke about you know about oh, yeah. the cat dying and the cat went out and he's and he's right. long ass story it's like uh it, it reminds me of like a Norman McDonald bit or something like that yeah but the cat on the roof bit mm-hmm. and you know and it just kind of goes it goes on and you're like where you know where are this where is this going but then like it's just framed so perfectly where he says you know when he gets to the part about your mom he's like well well, how's mom? <laughs> well, she's out on the roof. And, yeah. and just then, is like he's getting, he's like climbing and he's getting to the top of this cliff, and the two helicopters are like sitting right there. And, and he sees them like right when he gets to the punchline of the joke. And I think like, like everything about his character up to that point um, just like delivers that moment. Uh, it's yeah. just, it's, there's like, there's one or two or, 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 you know, four moments in this movie, and that's one of them that are just, uh, just, astoundingly brilliant that's great writing too because yeah. you know you you got three guys running for their lives in the desert you can't just cut back to each of them running or climbing because you get pretty bored pretty quick and so it's like oh let's have this yeah, guy, you have to give them something to do let's have this guy tell a joke to himself and just it just works you know yeah i still want to hear the joke about the guy who gives enemas to elephants <laughs> <laughs> that never got paid off but uh but you know, you were talking about when, um, when, when he comes, he's telling this joke to himself to basically try to try to keep his wits about him because he's you know dehydrated and exhausted and he's climbing this this sheer you know cliff face, and when he gets to the top of it, there are these two uh, you know secret black helicopter you know helicopters you know waiting for him. They've been searching for him because he's on the run from the from the bad guys in the government. And one of the things that that I really liked about um, the scenes with the helicopters, like scouring the desert, looking for the the three, uh, you know, astronauts that are all on the run, mm-hmm. the the way they shot those two helicopters, they were like characters. We never see who the pilots right. are, really, you know, and and who's inside the helicopters. But the the helicopters themselves, the way that they would move and in, in, in synchronization with each other, and and they they really turned them into they felt like these ominous, you know, ghosts or something instead yeah. of, instead of just, you know, dumb helicopters. Turn, somebody inside. Turn look at each other. Like in <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Back. Like they were like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was something I would have not have, I would have, have not been clever enough to come up with. And, and I, I have to imagine that was all the director, you know, that he was like, okay, we're going to shoot these helicopters like their people or like their monsters or like their dogs or whatever they are, yeah. you know, and he gave the helicopters, the physical helicopters, these moments to interact with each other that really, I, I can't, it's hard to explain it unless people see it, but it's, it's, it's really different and not something that I can remember seeing in, in, in any other movie. Yeah, really. And I don't, movies, they, you wouldn't see that in a movie made today, I don't think. Like unless today, Chance makes it. I, I, I think you're, you're, you're selling yourself short, Chance. I think you are clever enough. <laughs> Well, I mean, I am now that you know I'm smart enough to steal that idea from <laughs> exactly. you know, from Peter Himes, <laughs> for sure. But um, but I had just never seen yeah yeah these days in a movie like that the helicopters would be going really really fast constantly. You know there wouldn't be you wouldn't have a, a you wouldn't have as many quiet moments like that. But but again the chase through the desert a lot of it is more of a hide and seek game than it is just you know a flat out insane chase though. Obviously, with the um, with the 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 plane, the biplane that comes in with Telly Savalas, yeah. of course, oh, yeah. you know, um, who apparently like shot his part in like one day. Um, <laughs> I guess there was a time in the seventies where you could just call Telly and say, "Hey, will you be in our movie for a day and pay him some amount of money?" 
I mean, he shows up in. Yeah. I know he shows up in Horror Express he like was, that. The, the, um, the Christopher like Lee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is cool. Which is cool. I mean, he's a lot of fun. You know, he's he's always um, wh- whatever he shows up for those small parts. He always he he's, always he, it seems like he always yeah, comes to play. He's always doing know? something. Like he's got a thing. You know, he's he's. <laughs> My name's Caulfield. I can't help that. <laughs> 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 yeah, he's just he's. He's so witty in those in those scenes, and um, you know, and he thinks he's got it all figured out. Is is like the thing that's hilarious to me, you know, because he's like, he's like your buddy rob a bank or something, you know. He's like whatever. He's like whatever you have, I get a third of the loot. He <laughs> 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 goes like, sure, whatever. <laughs> whatever you say, buddy. I love it when they bring in a guy like that and they're like, hey, you're just going to throw heat for 10 minutes in this movie. You ready? And they're like, sure, let's go. I, you don't see him till what, like the last 20? Something like that? Something yeah. like that. Yeah, it's, it's late, late, late in it's, the movie when he shows up. It's basically up. the end yeah. of the movie, yeah. Yeah, he got the, uh, the, the they gave him the, uh, I think, special appearance by credit or something <laughs> like that. It's one of those classic 70s stock credits that you don't really see much anymore. But yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's something it is, you'd see in a TV it's, it's, movie, it's, right? Like if you were watching, you know, like the ABC yeah, movie of the week. Yeah, yeah. Like see, there's always a celebrity. And it's, it's hard to bring in a new character in Act 3. Like you don't see that hardly at all. And have it, and have it well, it's work one of at those, least. Yeah, that's one of those that's one of those big no nos in like official screenwriting classes, you know, where they say like, you know, never, you know, you always have to introduce all your characters in the first twenty pages or whatever. Right. But I, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of of the mind that that breaking those rules smartly, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's where the surprise, you know, if if you if you follow all the store all the all the screenwriting rules, <laughs> you know, every page of the way, then you're never going to surprise anybody. Yeah. So you have to figure out which rules you can break to. To, that's where the entertainment comes from. I'm a know? big believer in learning the rules so that you then can break them. So like yeah. take those books and stuff for what they are. Like those are the basics. And then if you get good enough, you can you can be I mean Hitchcock broke the cardinal rule of all in Psycho. <laughs> Wouldn't recommend doing that <laughs> yeah. today. I don't think it would work, but but hey, why not? Give it a try. You know, I don't know. I I think that um well, I mean, they they basically, I mean, and not to spoil a bunch of movies. I, I hope people have seen all these because you need you need to you need to see Psycho and you know Scream kind of did that. Oh, um, you know, Scream actually, had Drew yeah. Barrymore. You're right. And and I don't and when I went into that movie, I don't. I mean, she's, she's on the poster. poster she was and, in all the you know, I mean, and, Yeah, like she was going to be the final. Yeah, girl. that's that was all the uh, or at least at least a final girl, you yeah. know. And and yeah, they offed her really quick, you know. So um I I think that it still can yeah. work, you know. You just, just have it, to be brilliant it's... like those two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like another guest I had on the show who said be smart. Like, you <laughs> just have advice. to be smart. Yeah. <laughs> That's good advice. I I haven't tried that. That's yet. always I good need, advice. I need to try that. <laughs> Um, but, um, but yeah, so, so we, we've, we've, we've kind of gone on about the cast, but yeah, the, the cast is great. And, and as we've said, you know, you get great actors still showing up very late in the movie. Um, the, we haven't talked a lot about the cinematography and, and, and it's, 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 it's not that it's anything super fancy, but it is very well shot. And then they mm-hmm. shot it in scope. So it's like very, it's kind of got that epic widescreen look to it, you yeah. know, which really pays um, off with that airplane chase. 
in the end. Sure, sure. Yeah, that was one of uh, that was one of uh, John Carpenter's uh, tricks when he shot Halloween. He was like, "We're going to shoot Halloween cheap. We're going to shoot it in on, in widescreen Panavision, so everybody's going to think we spent a lot of money on it." You know, <laughs> and 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 it's a it's especially back then, but even today to a, to a little degree, um, I think that there's something about seeing a movie that's like wide widescreen that makes people think like, "Oh, okay, this is this must be, you know, this must be important because they they've got all that screen." <laughs> you know, oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Lawrence of Arabia. I, I remember there was that there was that joke. I forget. Maybe it was like a family guy or something like that. There was some joke about like some like super, super widescreen. And then they showed like the, the shot and it was just like one line, like in the center. Of... <laughs> right. <laughs> like super. Duper you know, that uh, that screen. That Tarantino movie, The Hateful Eight, looks a little bit like that at home because they uh, yeah. um, shot it in whatever they call the Super Duper 70 Panavision. So it ends up being like, I don't know, 2.6 to 1, something like that. So it's even wider than regular widescreen. But um, that's just an excuse for everybody to get bigger TVs so you can watch all these really widescreen movies at home and still see something, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Did we mention Hal Holbrook yet in his we mentioned him yeah yeah, yeah. I thought, like that but we didn't say much about him other than him being yeah, awesome I mean, he's awesome that <laughs> the first um the first real big scene he gets he has this long monologue in the conference room with the astronauts and it's um I mean, there's a few cuts in there but it's like it's like maybe i think it's maybe three maybe four um you know two or three minute long takes of him just talking and delivering this monologue and explaining basically explaining the plot and explaining the whole setup for the movie, but he does it so right. well. It doesn't even it doesn't feel like exposition at all, really. I, mean, I don't I don't think I've ever seen him better than that scene. Well, he's he's one of those guys who's always um he he was in a he was in a smaller movie that played at Sidewalk just a few years before he died. Um and and he was he was getting on up there in age at that point, you know. And I, I don't think I've ever seen him in anything where he didn't just bring it. I mean, he was just one of those guys who was like, you know, always on, you know, when he did stuff. But but the the scene you're talking about is is especially tough because, like you say, I mean, there are three actors in the room kind of reacting to him, but he's he's really carrying the entire scene. And I I think the reason that works is because they make it really personal for him where. Where, yes, he's this bad guy who's in charge of this conspiracy to defraud millions of people, but. He's doing it because it's his job on the line, you yeah. know. Uh, they, they, they they really do it. They do a really good job of making it seem like it's really personal to him, and not that. Does that make sense? You know that that he's. Um, it's not that he's just doing it for the money or the fame or whatever. You know, he's doing it because you know it means something to him, and 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 I think that's one of the reasons that it works so well. And that scene, he has one of my favorite lines in the film. <clears throat> he's kind of addressing. Uh, the sentiment around the moon landing where it's like, Oh, why are we spending all this money on this when we could be fixing things here at home, et cetera. And he says, since when was there an accountant for ideas? And I was like, wow. Okay. Like, I don't know if I agree, but like, he, that's a really good pitch. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, a long, yeah. 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 It's, um, it's, and, yeah, and so, that scene is so good. Yeah. And so it, it gets us, it gets at the core of this idea of, because he's trying to con- he's trying to he's trying to convince them to go along and he wants to you can tell like he wants them he wants them to do it because they think they're doing the right thing 
Like mm-hmm. that's but ultimately it doesn't matter what they want because they have because the government has all of their families. <laughs> yeah. And um you know and and you can tell that he doesn't really want to at least at least he wants to come across as, you know, as the good cop. Like, look, I'm not I'm not doing this to you, like, but mm-hmm. you know, here's what's going to happen. But he doesn't want to go to that and he wants them to just agree to do it because because he, He's convinced them that it's the right thing to do. Um, and this idea that this is, you know, that, that, yeah, this is a lie. Yeah, it's deceitful, but it's worth, it's worth doing because if we get away with this, you know, then we can, we can go on to do, you know, so many other you know, greater mm-hmm. things. That's that whole, you know, it's that whole noble lie. Yeah, if we just fake this, if we just fake this one <laughs> Mars landing, we'll, we'll stay, we'll be able to stay in the, in the Mars business. And then we can go to Mars for real one day is, is basically his pitch. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and and that's and and there's a similar idea in uh, in Operation Avalanche. Um, For sure, if we can we can you know transition into into Operation Avalanche. Um, you know, there's sort of a similar thing where Matt and Owen are having the same conversation the first time they go out to shoot test footage out in the desert, and he's like he's like, well, you know, it's a good lie. It's like you know, it's like like the Easter Bunny or you know, or Santa Claus or whatever. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, well, some kids get really pissed off about those lies. <laughs> <laughs> and i guess patrick do you want to explain a little bit of do you want to explain the basic plot of operation avalanche i guess at, at heart it's very similar to the plot of um of capricorn i can see it's why weird. you paired these two together patrick yeah yes. it's it's very similar um so the, the so the idea of operation avalanche this is a movie this is a movie from 2016 um from uh from uh matt matt johnson and owen um, I can't remember the name, Owen's last name, but they they they, they Williams made, Williams yeah Owen Williams, Matt Johnson and Owen Williams these these two have made they made some movies they've been making movies together for for years um it's, it seems like they're they're good friends and this so so this is a period piece paranoid thriller found footage movie um which is just fascinating to me <laughs> um and when we get to the end I have. Like I, I I went and I did I did a little research into like how this movie got funded and made, and it all makes so much more sense. Which I'm, which I'm very curious about. Yeah, yeah because I kept thinking like I kept thinking like this is a pretty you know this is like a smart you know doing a period piece is going to be expensive generally, but I'm like you know this is a period piece, but they're doing it smartly, and I can see that it feels it feels like it's small, but then it feels like it's punching above its weight. Oh, I, I was, but then yeah. I was thinking the same, but, 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 but then there are a couple of scenes where I'm like, man, that costs a lot of money and there's no way around it. You know, either, either these guys are computer graphics geniuses and they completely fooled me or they had five period cars and 50 extras and period signage. And, but, but, but I'm, I'm, this is actually a scene that I'm thinking about later in the movie, you know, but, but generally, um, generally the, the, the the scale of the movie is really smart and it never feels like it never feels cheap but at the same time it seems like 
you know, they spent their money smartly. But that being said, I have no idea if they made it for, you know, 50000 or 500000 yeah. or whatever, you know. So I guess we can find out yeah, about that later. I hope, I hope you're going to hit us with the budget eventually, Patrick, because I feel like they spent way more on the Credence Clearwater Revival than they did on the actual uh, – Yeah, there's like two CCR, CCR songs yeah. in the soundtrack, too. Yeah. That made me think, wait a minute. You don't get CCR for know. You know. So it might have been a package deal. Yeah. But I'll, I'll, spoil a, I'll spoil a bit on that discussion and say that yeah they did they did admit that the licensing music was one of their biggest expenses oh i'm sure so sure yeah. but, sure uh, which is a bold so like, did you see did you see an interview with them somewhere or did they do a commentary um, or i'm just yeah, curious no, I, I what read the some, story I read is some interviews i read some, i read some interviews with them uh i haven't been able to track them down to uh to talk to them myself but uh, I was going to say, as much as I'm happy to come on with Jeremy and talk to you about movies anytime, <laughs> um, I was wondering why you didn't get the filmmakers on, because they seem based on, I, you know, it's not fair for me to say that maybe they're like super huge now. But but ba it, I got the feeling that they were still kind of like, what would you call it? Like, you know, community filmmakers as opposed to big shot Hollywood guys now. But maybe maybe they're bigger than I realize. Yeah. I mean I think they're just I think they're just busy and they kind of keep their heads down and, and make their movies and uh you know and they're not uh, so they're so you know I, I I haven't been able to figure out how to uh how to reach them just yet. But uh but I'm I've been work I'm working on that. But yeah, so this movie so so the, basically these two guys, Owen and Matt, get hired by the CIA like right out of college. And, uh, and convince their boss to, uh, to let them infiltrate NASA as a documentary film crew and use that as an opportunity when they, they, so they discover what, that, that, that NASA can't actually land on the moon. Well, they can get all At the least way to the moon. Yet. Not yet. Um, it's going to take too long and they have to do it before the end of the sixties. One, because because John F. Kennedy promised that we would that we would go to the moon. <laughs> that was the promise in this decade, right? Um, and and so they decide that they so they decide they can fake it, uh, and the CIA goes along with it. So that's that's the basic setup for the film. Um, which yeah, and just to, just to, just to be clear, if if I remember right, they get they go into NASA. Not to spy on NASA, they're going into NASA to try to find a mole. Is that right? Yeah. They're they're afraid that there's a Russian mole, and so there's the fear that there's a Russian mole in NASA spying on the American, you know, space stuff, uh, during, because there's a Cold War going on. And these guys are like young, you know, go getters, and they're like, "Hey, you should send us to NASA. They'll never suspect a bunch of like twenty year old, you know, documentary film crew guys of being like CIA agents, you yeah. know." Um, and of course, while they're trying to find the mole, they accidentally discover the NASA's in over its head. And then because these guys are ruthlessly ambitious, they say, hey, let us as genius filmmakers fake the moon landing for you. And they're not. And, and, and just to be clear, too, and this does actually make it a little more plausible. They're not going to fake the whole mission. They're going to go to the, the astronauts are going to go orbit the moon. And while they're in orbit they're going to play back some footage that says that they landed, but in actuality, yeah. and that's, you know, it's that's, all fake. That's the part yeah, of the That's fake. a plot point that tells me that these guys watched no Capricorn one because <laughs> they basically fixed that, that plot. Yeah. Hole from yeah. <laughs> That's a plot hole with Capricorn one is that nobody ever got near more. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, and that and, and what's what's hilarious to me is you know, and they they get their job because because the CIA initially just wants to send like someone to pose as a as a as a scientist to NASA, and this is like the one like the one like smart idea that they actually have is that is that <laughs> no one at, no one's at NASA is going to be fooled by a, a CIA field agent posing as a rocket scientist. They're going to sniff that out in a minute. But if we show up, they're going to expect that we have no idea what we're doing. And right. what's hilarious is they, they, they ultimately get this job because they were, during that meeting, they're spying on the CIA director and like recording him through a window. And I think that's what convinces him. Like, okay, these guys can actually pull it off because I had no idea uh, that I was on camera. Yeah, he actually, he, he actually, yeah, he actually says, why should, I, why should I think that you can do this? And they're like, well, we're spying on you right now, um, and which sets up one of my favorite jokes in the movie. The movie starts in um, black and white, and um, after as soon as they convince the the CIA director to let them go and spot NASA, the first thing they say is, "But we're going to need better cameras." And then the movie changes over <laughs> yeah. to color. Yeah, <laughs> I have and, to say, widescreen. And widescreen, yeah. exactly. It changes to color widescreen. I have to say, I, th- I think Matt Johnson's a pretty good filmmaker, but he also has one of those faces where he doesn't, he looks like he has no idea what he's doing. And so <laughs> the self, the self-casting there, I was like, you know what? I believe you that you're posing as a guy who doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. He pulled that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that, um, and you know, in, in, in indie movies like this, um, you know, uh, actor direct you know everybody's not orson wells unfortunately right. you know as as ed, as ed wood found out himself you know? <laughs> and um it's 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 hard work and and it's you know it's it's easy to see i mean there's so many there's so many ways that you know making an indie film you can crash and burn as a director or as an actor and and you know i don't know much about matt johnson but based on this one movie i mean the guy's the, the the guys i mean i gotta give him credit for yeah. just you know balls you know i mean he's he's obviously fearless and and i think he's a solid actor i think he's probably oh, he a is. little better director than he is an actor but he's a solid actor for sure yeah, yeah for sure and um and he his, his other his other big movie was uh, was the dirties where uh which is a found footage movie about a school shooting and he actually enrolled in a high school and shot a lot of his scenes <laughs> Like in in a real <laughs> school, like posing as a student there. Did okay. Did he like have like a hidden camera or something? <clears throat> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. He brought he brought his he brought a cameraman he brought a cameraman with him, um, and he so he did the same thing for Operation Avalanche. They actually they actually lit- infiltrated NASA, posing as as film students, making a student documentary. So a lot of those shots, right. in, a lot of the shots inside NASA are basically stolen footage because really? they lied to them and told them that they were there, uh, that they were there to shoot a, to shoot a, doc, a documentary. And, um, and so they just let them in and they let them film whatever they want and they let them leave and didn't make them sign anything. Or- oh my gosh. <laughs> That's amazing. That's insane. Wow. Yeah. So. I, That's I, insane. Good thing they weren't with the Russians, right? <laughs> <laughs> that we know of. <laughs> yeah. They are Canadian though, they are right? Canadian. They are. Yeah. They are. They are Canadian. What a scandal. The Canadians are spying on NASA. It's insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, so a lot of those shots really are like uh, really are from from NASA and there's a ton of 
there's a ton of VFX that you don't really notice in the movie just to make it match the time period where they're they're ta- they're removing cell phones. And, oh, interesting. Uh, okay, and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, because because I was assuming a lot of that stuff was staged because of the period dress and that sort of thing, you know. So I didn't think about that they actually had shot some stuff actually at NASA and then like yeah. cleaned it up later. But 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 that brings so now that I know that story, Patrick, that brings in a, a, a and I don't know if if this is getting too far ahead, but there's a great meta scene where the characters in the movie infiltrate stanley kubrick's <laughs> 2001 film shoot to figure out how he's doing the special effects for his quote-unquote moon landing <laughs> and they do it with um they have uh they have a, a an eight millimeter camera in a suitcase with a hole cut in it and so you're seeing it's a good two minutes of the movie that you just see in black and white through this like hole in the middle of the screen um but that scene has some i'm assuming some some special effects going on because there's scenes with like and it's grainy and black and white and et cetera, et cetera. But there's scenes with like Matt Johnson talking with Stanley Kubrick. At least that's yeah, what it looks yeah. like. And it doesn't look like a body double. It looks like really Stanley, no, you know, it looks like old footage yeah, of Stanley it's Kubrick. It's basically it's you know, it's the I call it the Forrest Gump technology. Um, uh-huh. because I think that's actual uh, the, the it's it's either it's either a still photo that they manipulated or it's actual behind the scenes footage of uh of, of right. two thousand one. Uh, and they basically composited, right. uh, they basically composited Matt in, so it, it looks like he's talking to, to Stanley Kubrick. Um, so I think yeah. that's also maybe the best joke in the movie, where he's like, "Oh, it's for my friend. His name's Matt Johnson. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's a huge fan. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good, man. That's pretty good. I gotta try that." Yeah. Oh, and then, of course, that ties back to one of the first jobs that these guys have for the CIA is investigating Kubrick about dr strangelove yeah. the movie he did before 2001 to see if he's i don't know they were worried about him a being communist a, i don't know what they were worried about him, a <laughs> communist yeah and and after and they showed the end of their presentation when they were like and in conclusion we have decided that stanley kubrick is a talented filmmaker and he is not a communist <laughs> there i was really hoping that kubrick would show up later on there's a there's a moment where they're doing something and one of the guys is like hey come here look outside and i was like oh i hope it's kubrick <laughs> <laughs> it was just it was just some plot agents you know like it was actually important to the film it was not just a kubrick stunt unfortunately that would have been great though yeah um yeah i thought all that kubrick stuff was was great and that's really um, good and this is where when it ties into the it ties into the old there's a there's a there's a particularly insane conspiracy yeah. that kubrick like literally helped nasa fake the moon right. landing and they kind of took that and ran with it, where he, where 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 he did help them, but he was yeah, unaware sort of because they accomplice. stole his. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they stole his techniques, but he didn't like literally direct the footage or anything like that. My yeah. favorite part of that conspiracy theory is that Kubrick left hints in The Shining, like Danny's Apollo sweatshirt and stuff like. That. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, yes. Okay. Guys. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, there's also a good meta joke in there at some point i think it's like before they actually go to the kubrick where matt's talking to or uh to owen and um and owen says something to him like well you know we could get an actual director that knows what the fuck he's doing (laughs) (laughs) and matt it's like matt's offended for like a second and then he's like 
okay. And then the next thing you know, he's like on the phone desperately trying to get Stanley Kubrick on the phone. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 a, brother, it's a it's a it's a nice character. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a nice character moment yeah. where he's like, did, "What did you just say to me?" And he's like, "You know what? You're right. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm just gonna find a, I'm gonna find a professional." You know. Um, and 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 to, and to tell you um, and to get a little in the weeds on the movie to tell you what a genius Kubrick is. Um, they talk about the front projection technique for creating fake backgrounds for, you know, for movie stuff like they used in, in 2001. And like they use like the guys in operation avalanche use, I have read and researched that front t- projection technique like three times now. And I still don't understand how it works. I so, didn't either, but um, I kind of just yeah. went with it. You know? <laughs> yeah. It, it is a real thing. It is the a real thing. The fact that you didn't understand I, it either makes me feel better because you, you understand yeah. cameras and stuff. I think I need to get all the equipment together somehow, which would be difficult and try it myself. And then I think I would understand it, but yeah, it's really, it's really, it's, it's invite me to hang out whenever you do that, please. (laughs) Yeah. It's insane though, because if you watch well, I mean, not to turn this into like a techniques of 2001, but if you watch 2001, they have these insane, huge uh, projected backdrops of like Africa and stuff at the dawn of man, you know, and it's, it's, it's insane. You know, I, I, you, you, you look at it and you look at it and you just, it really, it really is, it really is convincing. You know, it, it works in, in my humble opinion, it works a lot better than green screen and all that stuff though. Um, anyways, yeah. but, but again, that's getting and in it, the weeds, and it looks, but, um, yeah, but, and even, and, and rear projection too, I mean, somehow it looks, I don't, I don't understand it either. I mean, maybe, maybe because you're shooting like through the, 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 the mirror or something. I, I didn't quite understand it either. I, I'm still trying, I try to get my head around the physics of it because you're projecting something and bouncing it off a mirror onto a, onto a screen. But then the thing that you're like, the people and your props and stuff are in front of that. So isn't the backdrop projecting onto like the face of your, of your actor? I don't, I don't understand. I that's control. That's the part it. I get confused. You know, rear, rear projection makes yeah. sense because the camera is behind the, 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 the plate or whatever, or the screen, you know, but yeah, the front projection, you know, it, it, it seems like a magic trick. Yeah. So that, that's why I think that if I actually got the equipment together, I might be able to figure it out like, you know, in person. And to their credit, I'm <laughs> but, glad they um, didn't spend like five minutes explaining how it works. Yeah. I was like, cool. Spend, absolutely. Just keep yeah, going. I'm, I'm with you. Just, just. Yeah, they spent the exact. I think they spent the exact right amount of time explaining it because because you can tell like like Matt's really into it, right? Like he's trying to explain how this works, and he's talking about like we have this infinite depth of field and all this, and they just start they just cut him off. They're like, okay, yeah, nobody cares. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) That's the they're the proxy for the audience in that moment. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Which is smart filmmaking. Yeah, I want to back up a, a little bit in the movie because there's so there's the moment when they find out, like right after they find out that NASA can't land on the moon, and he has to call the CIA director. The director basically tells him to pack it in, and they're going to come home. They're you know to come home, and they're going to send out another team to figure out what to do next. And and so he he's you know sort of starting to pack his shit up, and then for whatever reason on this field trip to to Houston. To, to on this NASA mission, he happens to have brought with him a film reel of a trip to the moon. The uh, like the early twentieth century film. Yeah, the I can't say the director's name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> he just happens to have this movie with him. Um, but like that, that's what inspires him to sort of come up with this idea of you know, wait, we can you know we can just make this movie. Uh, and show it to him but they actually they actually like 
you know, show a good, you know, two or three minutes of it uh, in the movie itself and show yeah. him getting the idea. And then it kind of cuts, it keeps the, you know, the music blends in. It's a really nice sequence. And, um, you know, he starts like putting everything together. It shows him like, you know, basically like putting like the fake like mission documents together and, and, and stuff like that. Um, and of course they're doing us, they're doing all this stuff in the sixties. So it's pre Photoshop. So they're actually literally like cutting and pasting like, you know, pictures of, or pieces of paper yeah. together and then scanning them and photocopying them and everything, you know? <laughs> so that was kind of fun too, to see. Well, and, and, you know, that's another thing that I like about the movie, not just the stuff with like them literally copying and pasting and cutting and pasting paper, but all the, all the stuff of them, like dealing with the 16 millimeter film, because these guys, you know, it's the sixties. So they're not shooting this stuff on video. This, this fake documentary they're making, they're shooting it on film. Um, I was happy to see guys making a movie in 2015 who still had access to like actual film equipment, you know, because they show them literally like, you know, splicing the film and taping the film together and all that kind of stuff. And it looks like that um, uh, Matt Johnson, uh, the, and, and whoever it was playing his, cameraman who might have been an actual cameraman on the movie it looks like that they really know their way around uh you know a film editing bay which is which which i, I don't know if that's something they learned in film school or if they're just you know if they learn how to do that for the for the movie but all of that all the stuff with them dealing with the technology of the late 60s from from a filmmaking standpoint feels it it, it feels lived in you know yeah yeah for sure um it does, and he has, and he has a whole explanation for that because they have to shoot, they have to shoot in, in uh, at a high frame rate, in order to, in order to slow it down and have the slow motion, to, sh- to simulate like the low, the uh, you know the low gravity effect, and uh, stuff like that. Um, but the other, the other thing that the other inspiration I think um, for this movie is Wag the Dog. There's a whole Wag the Dog section. Yeah. Um, where he's like playing like the Sputnik sound and he goes through the whole speech and it's just like this. It's just like the smart bomb in the chimney thing from Wag the Dog. Or, um, you know, we're, um, we saw it yeah, on TV. It's like, oh no, you just see that the building blows up. And that, that's, that's the war. And it's, it, it's, you know, it's the same. Uh, it's, it's the whole, it's the whole same idea. And that, and that, and there's even that same scene in Capricorn one to bring it all the way back where, um, you know, James Brolin, like, kind of, like, drops, like, the world's most obscure hint into a conversation with his wife, where, where he says he wants to go back to um, Yosemite or something, which wasn't even where they went. Um, and yeah, how they it's so obscure that the wife doesn't even get it. Yeah. Until Elliot Gould explains it, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, he puts it together. Well, well, Elliot, Elliot Gould basically, he, he, he basically quizzes her on it, and she doesn't understand stand it either he's the one who puts the yeah yeah he he puts the pieces together and and real at work it gives him a hint that there's something shady going on because the hint that that james roland was trying to drop was that they went on vacation and they saw a film being made um and that was that is supposed to be the hint that that lets everybody know you know that that there's something fake going on you know that with, with with the whole mars mission yeah. Um, yeah, I forgot about that plot point. That's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of fun. I rem- so I, I liked Capricorn one so much. I watched it again with my kids, and like when they got to that point, like that was that was just like a mind blowing moment for them. They were like, "Oh my god!" So, <laughs> yeah, because um, because all the pieces sort of fall into place right there. But yeah, so this is that same 
you know, this is the same kind of scene where, okay, if we see it on TV, he even says, like, Walter Cronkite's going to do half our work for us. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, so he creates this whole fake mission, in which, which is going off great until, until the director shows up. And this is sort of like the beginning of the end of Matt and Owen's friendship in the movie. Uh, you know, because Matt has lied to him and told him, well, this is our new mission. And, uh, and in fact, it's not. And it's just a really funny scene because, like, the second the, the, the CIA director walks out of the room, Owen just decks him. <laughs> That was unexpected, and it worked real well. Yeah, and I think it's the kind of thing that I think two people who are really good friends could can really pull <laughs> off really well and make it convincing. Um, For sure. So, and that's kind of a recurring theme because Matt and Owen are in his other movie together, The Dirties, and there is a whole recurring um, you know theme there of 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 Owen being pissed off at Matt and Matt having no idea. I'm just being completely oblivious to it because <laughs> after that in the movie, he's like, why are you acting this way? Like, why? Do, I don't understand. Like, why don't you want to hang out anymore? Did he and enroll in the school in the school too? Um, he's in the movie. I don't know if he, I don't know if they both enrolled in the school or if only, or if only Matt did for, for certain shots, but they're both. <laughs> that's so, that's so crazy. Is that even legal? Like, for, cause I'm assuming they were adults. Can Man, I, I was... if I like go enroll in a high school, is that, is that cool? I, you know, I don't know. I was, I was I just wondering, so. like, this is the last film that they made. I know they've got like a TV thing that they did recently, but like maybe this guy uh, flew too close to the sun and he infiltrated a school and then he infiltrated NASA and now he's just blacklisted somehow. They're like, hey, if, if somebody named Matt Johnson comes around, don't let him in. Yeah. Yeah. They won't let him shoot anymore. Yeah. He's, he's screwed. Like public parks, just like, nope. Yeah. We saw your movie, buddy. We know what you're up to. So yeah, um, and then, and then there's, um, and then we have a whole, we have a whole chase scene in Operation Avalanche too, you know, sort of towards yes. the end, like after he's, which is really well done. So, yeah. Um, and 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 just to, I, I think we mentioned it before, but the one of the conceits of Operation Avalanche is all of this footage we're seeing is. Uh, footage that these guys shot of themselves. Uh, basically, Matt early in the movie tells his tells his his cameraman, "If we're talking, you roll film. I don't care how much film you have to roll. I don't care what it costs. You know, we I want to get every bit of this down." And um, the the car chase that happens, um, I'm assuming is it is it is it CIA people trying to close trying to close up that's, the top yeah uh, top the loose ends. It's, it's a little it's, vague. Yeah, I think it's I mean I think it's intentionally kept vague. Uh, right there are there are some there are some loose ends as to who who those who are those people outside the studio, and then who are the people who you know who come back at the end you know who who killed you know spoilers who killed uh, yeah, Owen, and who's chasing after Matt yeah but I assume yeah it's it's just CIA people that are you know that are but the movie does a good job of 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 getting you into Matt's headspace where you're paranoid but you don't understand exactly what the problem is you know what the what's going on either i i thought that that was you know nice that i don't i mean we don't know any more than Matt does you know and since he's a little unclear on it that leaves the viewers a little unclear on it yeah. um but this car chase that happens is is the is Matt's driving the car and his cameraman is in the back seat and so the entire car chase takes place from the perspective of the cameraman in the back seat and it seems to be one, one take two or three yeah. minute take 
if, if it's not they stitched it together somehow yeah. and there That's are real, they're shooting at them so uh windows are getting busted out of the car that they're in and it's 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 really i would i would love to hear from the director kind of like walking through it like you know how he did yeah. it you know or how they did it because it was obviously a multi-person operation to make that happen yeah. but that was one of those places in the movie where i said where i said i mean plus it's two it's two old cars you know so they're you're busting the windows out of vintage whatever those cars were which which i can't imagine is I can't imagine it's easy in 2016 to get a hold of cars from the 50s or the 60s and then to 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 kind of trash them would seem to be really expensive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what I what I from what I understand the uh, like the chase and like the driving and all of that is all real. Um the bullet holes were our visual effect. So those were those were really post. They look yeah. really good. And and I think I think this is where like you know shooting on sixteen millimeter helps because it, mm-hmm. you can't tell, you know, it, it, it doesn't look as fake if everything is grainy. Right. Right. So do you know if they do you know if they really shot on film or did they shoot on video and post? They shot so I actually have the answer to that. So they shot on they shot on digital uh, cameras with vintage sixteen millimeter lenses. And then they oh. and then they printed the movie on film stock, and then scanned it back. Oh. Okay, fascinating, fascinating. Yeah. Because I, I I tend to be obsessive about that sort of thing, and I'm watching this movie going, "Did they shoot this whole thing on 16?" So they sort of did. They sort of. They sort of in did, a way. Yeah. You know, they couldn't shoot in, in, yeah. in this. They um they had to shoot it digital, to begin with. Um, cause he said, because otherwise like just the, just the uh, film processing costs would have eaten up his entire budget, uh, if they tried to sure, shoot it all in sure. 16, but they, but they definitely, but they, yeah, but they, they ran it on film stock and then scanned it back in so that it looks, it looks legit. It looks like actual 16 millimeter. And so film. the, the VFX scenes, that means that the VFX scenes were done in the computer and then transferred out to film and then transfer and then scanned back to the computer. Yeah. Right. So at that point, you're basically adding a an organic layer to the process, you know, for lack of a, a better, whatever. Um, that's really, yeah, I saw it. I saw in the end credits that they had listed Kodak, but again, I wasn't sure if that it's, so it sounds like that they, they did use Kodak, but not for the actual acquisition, but just for, cause at that point, the cool thing is instead of having to spend who knows how much on stock and processing, you're only having to deal with like an hour and a half, right. you know, because you know, it's a, it's a finite amount. You could basically have the movie edited and then just dump it all out to film and then back the other yeah. way. Um, that's really cool. Um, well, I'll have to watch the, um, I'll have to watch that scene with the, um, I'll have to watch that chase scene again and see if I can see any of the scenes because it, it totally had me fooled that they were busting windows and all that oh, yeah. stuff, you know? Yeah. And it's my favorite kind of long take where I don't realize that it's a long take at first. And then, like 30 seconds in i'm like whoa okay that's what we're doing great (laughs) yeah uh yeah it's amazing and that was like there there were a couple of like key pieces to the movie and that that was one of them it was like that and like having a having a scene with matt johnson and stanley kubrick like there were just these certain elements are like if we can just get these things to work then like the rest of the movie will uh will fall in place but obviously a lot of it um you know, a lot of it centered around that that car chase, and which is why they kind of had to had to figure out a way to set it out in the middle of nowhere, so they'd actually have room to to shoot and wouldn't have to worry about traffic and and other stuff. So they're just on like these random yeah, the, roads and stuff. 
the dirt roads they found were, were like perfect. They reminded me of something like out of the Dukes of Hazard or something from back in the day, <laughs> yeah. you know, just like, just yeah. like perfect, yeah. like chase roads, you know, that location's real good. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I, Oh, that was another good touch is, um, you know, when he's explaining how they're going to, how they're going to deliver the final film and how they have to shoot it on film and then convert it to video. And, you know, they have to be careful with the film. Uh, they have to be careful with the films because if there's scratches on the, on it, then people will know yeah. when it's scanned back to video that it was that it was shot on film. And, and how could they shoot on film in outer space? Um, and then shortly after that, the film starts to get really really scratchy. And that's the moment that the director explains uh, Operation Northwoods, which is uh, we shoot the we shoot the Apollo rocket down and blame it on the Russians. Um. That was their, their their backup plan was killing the astronauts, which is pretty messed up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and it's it's kind of it's it, it, it. This is where I start to realize that the direct the CIA director here is like the worst spy ever, because he just like openly admits to this plan in front of a guy who he should know he can't really trust, um, and who has right. already filmed him once secretly and is sort of known for known to be filming everything, and is in fact filming him at that moment. Uh, it's uh, which I thought was really funny, but but you realize that that the film gets all scratchy because he takes that section of the of of the of the footage, and he cuts it out and he puts it into canister and he takes it out to the woods to bury it. Yeah. So that's why it's all messed up in the final movie because you know they they went back when they stitched the the actual movie together they went back out and dug it up and yeah, smart put it in you know sequentially like where it goes like like every little thing is so like well planned out thought out there really i think like, this really guy might have gone to film school <laughs> 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 yeah i it, the i had i had forgotten i had i had not put together that i had not put together that's why that piece was so beat up but in hindsight um and you know and and it's not fair a fair comparison but that sort of thing reminds me of the Blair Witch in the sense that the the problem with a lot of found footage movies is that you don't buy that, like, why is the camera still rolling? Yeah. You have that kind of question. And that never really came up in Operation Avalanche, which is one of the things I like about Blair Witch as well, is that it never feels like, you know, it, it, it never feels whatever, the, you know, excessive that they're still rolling or whatever. You know, it, it, it feels like something that was pieced together. And in, in the... I guess there were a couple of places in Operation Avalanche where I'm like wondering, sometimes you'll see the cameraman on camera and I'm like, well, who's running the second camera? I was a little unclear on that. Um, did well, they, they ever had two camera? Yeah, like, the two camera guys, they had two, Jared and Andy. It, okay. It seems like I just, and, and I think that if I remember right in the credits where they, the actors playing them were actually the cameramen yeah. who were running the cameras in yeah, the, the movie, the, which is, which is also, which is also got a cat away, <laughs> which is also cool. Um, but um but yeah it, it just holding together the whole like the cameras are rolling for a reason thing was something that it was that they did really well in that one um and and then and then digging the cans back up um <laughs> that's what uh, that was what led to the whole chase scene right yeah. was they got busted when they went to, yeah when he went so, to go pick anyway. up the, the film which which i think is like they were following him i assume that they were following you know they were following him because they had they didn't know where the film was, but they knew it was somewhere. So they had to follow Matt to it first before they could actually take him out because they need 
And and that's maybe like where it's ambiguous with are these actually CIA guys or are they Russian spies and they're trying trying to get trying to get the proof um that um you know that that NASA faked the moon landing. It's you know it's left a little unclear. It it seems like Brackett kind of admits at the end that yeah, he really <laughs> he really was trying to trying to kill him. Um and and of course, makes him a, makes him a, the classic, you know, end of the deal movie with the bad guy. You know, why don't you come work? For yeah, me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, and leaves it kind of ambiguous um, as 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 for as for whether you know he'll take him up on that. Um, what did you guys think about? I mean, obviously, Capricorn One is, you know, it's a cynical movie from a cynical time, post Watergate, that sort of thing. Am I, am I, am I bad to <laughs> hold it against the movie that making a making a cynical movie about the moon landing in 2016 feels kind of irresponsible? That's interesting. I hadn't thought uh, of it that way. Uh, I guess when they were making this, it, I mean, 2016 was a pretty cynical year, but um, a few things happened that year. I don't know if you recall, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Well, in, fair, in fairness, the movie came out in 2016, so I assume they were making this in 2014. It premiered at Sundance, so like that would have been probably they were working on it two, three years before that. Yeah. yeah. Patrick yeah. may know. The, yeah. the I don't official. have the exact timeline, but I think that's I think that's right. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I like part of part of why this discussion came up is I I in my newsletter I wrote about how I don't think Capricorn One would be made today just because we're a bit jaded as to uh we're kind of knee deep in conspiracies yeah, all we, the time we have now. to put up with conspiracy theory like theories yeah. from our neighbors and our coworkers and people we know on Facebook and we're sick of it. And so we go to the movies to escape all that. And if I went and saw like a like I gave an example of if there was an election conspiracy theory movie, I'd be like, no, man, I don't want to see that. Get that out of here. <laughs> Anything yeah. else, please. Um, so, yeah, I think that they're that they just made it in. Like right before things kind of fell off a cliff. Well, yeah, the the it, it's yeah. It, it, and, and not to get all, you know, sentimental and everything, but. Um, you know, I like astronomy and I like the space program. And, and, and I think that, I think that even though there was a lot of politics obviously involved with us putting a man on the moon or putting a man in space or, or the Russians putting a man in space, you know, to me, it's still all like really cool and yeah, really yeah. it's, it's something, it's a real accomplishment, you know, that, that humankind, you know, has done. And, um, you know, Buzz Aldrin will famously, um, is Buzz Aldrin? I can't remember if Buzz Aldrin's still alive. Um, but 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 famously, Buzz Aldrin would punch people in the face if they accused him of yeah. being, you know, <laughs> in on a, in on faking a moon landing. He took it very personally, as he should, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's 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 something, you know. The guy went to the guy went to the freaking moon. Of course, you know, he should be proud of it, and he should be offended that people, you know, when you, it's, and not to bring pol not to bring modern politics into this, but. Whenever somebody says, oh, you know, Biden didn't really win the election, you know, it was all rigged and everything, you know, you're taking not only you're trying to take, you know, Biden's win away from him, but you're trying to take away the thousands and thousands of people who worked um, and knocked on doors and registered voters. You know, I mean, 
it took a lot of people. It takes a lot of people to win a presidential election in America. I mean, yeah. you know, it's it's not just you know one guy or, or or ten guys in the DNC. You know, it's a lot of people. Um, and when you say, oh, you know, the moon landing was bullshit. That didn't really happen. It was all fake. You know, it's not like you're just you know disparaging the astronauts. I mean, it, it, how many thousands of people were involved in making that happen? You know, right. I mean, it's it's. So 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 as as entertaining as Operation Avalanche is and as well made as it is. Um, and again, and in fairness, they didn't make it before. It seems like we went off the deep end as a society with with conspiracies and stuff. But it still kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. You know, it kind of it, it kind of broke my heart a little. Bit. We saw it a few years too late, probably. So I, I can see why you would have that reaction. Yeah. And it goes back, it's just like you were saying, Jeremy, it goes back to your newsletter, you know, where, where we're not necessarily in the mood. Like I said, <laughs> I, I still, I, I have an easier time enjoying Capricorn one because it's, 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 it's not, you know, it's, and, and I don't, I'm assuming that the guys who made Operation Avalanche don't believe that it was faked. Right. You know, I think right. that they, I think that they were having fun saying, here are all these great conspiracy, th- or great, it's not the right word. Here are all these conspiracy theories. Let's thread them together in a clever way and turning it turn it into a found footage movie. You know, so it's definitely an A plus for there's a scene where the NASA administrator resigns, which happened in real life. You know, it was real news footage they used. Jim Webb, I think, was the guy's name. Yeah, yeah. And in the movie, they repurposed that footage to say, Oh, well, I guess Jim didn't want to be involved in us faking the moon landing, so he's just gonna resign and bow out quietly, you know. Um, I mean, that was a great bit. They they really, you know. The cleverness was really off the scale. I got to give them complete props. It's just, it's like, guys, oh man, <laughs> you know, the moon landing, the moon landing was awesome. It was cool. Why right. we got to, why we got to be like that? So, yeah. Anyways, that's like my really, that's really like my one gripe with the movie. Um, but but that, but I probably, I mean, I think Jeremy's right. I probably wouldn't have had that gripe if I had seen it in 2014. I would have just thought it was a fun, a fun lark. If you'd you know? seen Capricorn One for the first time now, you might have had the same reaction. I might be, yeah, I might, maybe so, maybe so. Um, but, um, yeah, it, 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 it's, um, <laughs> I just, now I'm thinking about flat earth theory <laughs> and how, how the rabbit hole, the, that, that's my favorite that's one a, right that's now. That's the third movie they're favorites. working on. <laughs> I, gosh, it's just, you, you, you think faking a moon landing's hard. Faking the fact that a flat earth is round. I mean, you have to have like half the population of the world in on it. It gets really crazy in a hurry. You start thinking about airplane pilots and (laughs) meteorologists and like, how does our cell phones work if the earth is flat? You know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. I mean, that's a really good point. And there is like the idea that like, does this, does a movie like this sort of lend, lend credibility to the people? that uh you know that believe in these you know these kind of crazy you know overarching conspiracies and and i mean i I think i i think at the end of the day i mean my my answer to that is is no this i mean maybe a movie could i don't think this movie does because i think that the main characters are are portrayed as complete idiots the entire time and and that's that's what makes it that that is that is i i don't know if it if it you know um completely you know the the the, and and while we're you know we spoiled a lot of this movie you know the very ending of the movie when matt's character 
realizes that his ruse has been successful, that people believe that Americans landed on the moon, there's this shot of him. He's watching it on TV, and, and they're like outside like a another scene that that was probably more expensive to film than you would think because of all the period, you know, trappings. But he's like outside a department store, and there's all these TVs mm-hmm. playing the moon landing, and he's watching it, and he's kind of smiling for a minute. And then when it cuts back to him for the last time, it's like he realizes the whole thing was kind of a dick move. And maybe I'm that was the way I saw it, at least, you know, like like he got everything that he wanted and then he realized it was kind of shitty. Yeah, I think that's a fair there's I've, I've struggled with sort of how to read that last scene and like really like. And I'm not saying that that reading is right, but that was the way it struck me on first. Yeah, reading, you yeah. Know? and that and that and that makes sense. And that could be. Uh, that and we have to kind of think about like what happened because we're we're watching the movie right so like there's the scene where he gives he gives like the the film the footage they've already shot to the other cameraman and tells him like you know go hide the go hide these and I'll send word you know when we when we get somewhere and then we're watching the footage they shot after that so obviously he went back and got all of the footage and and put it together or someone did um well, that's a, that's and that's another you know the 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 fun thing about one of the fun things about Blair Witch is you know it starts off and it's like you know we found like we literally found this footage and this is just we just pieced it together and here it is yeah. you know make of it what you will. Um, this movie it never really there's never really any explanation of how we're seeing this right. We don't know if we don't know who put cut this together. Is is that the right? right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, the movie yeah. doesn't tell us, and so yeah, the question is, yeah, did Matt. Um, you know, did Matt put this together and then put it out to, because he had a, you know, because he had a guilty conscience, you know, maybe about yeah. what he had done, uh, or, you know, I mean, the movie came out in 2016, all this footage supposedly was shot in the sixties. So, you know, did he hide it somewhere as insurance and, you know, and it eventually leaked out, you know, 50 years later or, or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of, I think, different ways you could, um, you could you could kind of read that, and I think the movie intentionally sort of leaves it open ended, um, which I like. Um, you know, I don't. That's not. It's not yeah, one of the answers yeah. I need tied up in a bow to enjoy the movie. Right. Um, and I actually think it's better than than having it. You know, than than having it, having it explained. Agreed. So, but yeah, as far as like you know. It, you know, if it's irresponsible to make this movie or not, I think that's a good segue into how this movie got funded and financed. Um, yeah, this is, yeah, this yeah. This is an interesting story. So we talked a little bit about the Dirties, which was his first movie, uh, which was a which was also a a mockumentary found footage film uh, about a school shooting. Uh, he self funded that, um, and and produced it himself for ten for ten thousand dollars Canadian, which is like probably like 7500 bucks or something and after he won the grand jury prize at slam dance and that got him a meeting with Lionsgate and and I saw Lionsgate's or wait was yeah Lionsgate's on this is their name is on, on this it, movie yeah. right they offered him yeah. a and I don't know film terminology it says they offered him a 1 million dollar negative pickup on his next project so huh. I'm not sure what that is either. Do you know? Jeremy? No clue. No one's ever offered me a negative pickup. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I, I kind of take that to mean they basically told him, whatever movie you make next, we'll pay you a million dollars to distribute it. Um, that seems about right. 
So he took that guarantee to a bank to borrow money to fund to film Operation Avalanche. Just went to the bank. Yeah. Went to the bank and got a loan based on respect based on that that agreement. So respect. I don't I don't, I don't have like an exact budget, but that's I the mean, way to do it. It's in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, at at uh, you know, it's probably I don't, I doubt it's I doubt it's more than half a million. Um, but I don't know. But so to me, this is a guy who is basically just going for broke. He's got a blank check. He's got more money than he can ever imagine to make whatever movie he wants. With no restrictions, and well, I don't know about more than you can imagine. You know, like Han Solo said, <laughs> "Well, I can imagine quite a bit." You know, but um, he it, he he had more. He had a lot more than he had for his first movie. We're pretty a, sure a of big that. upgrade from the first budget. Yeah, whether it was half a million or or three quarters of a million or nine hundred thousand or two hundred fifty thousand, it's still you know a lot more. Um, man, you know, gosh, do you know if not to keep, I guess I can look all this stuff up myself. Do you know if there's been like a physical release where he did like a director's commentary or anything? So there was a DVD. I don't have it, so I don't know if there's a director's commentary or not. There's a DVD I'm in the States. you don't have it. And then, I know, because I've watched it so many times, I should just, I should just go ahead and buy it. Um, yeah, there is, a, there is a DVD. I think it's like out of print now, so it's just like whatever copies are yeah. left in circulation. And then there's a German Blu-ray. Um, that I think is also out of print. You can buy used copies of that. So it didn't get a huge physical release, um, which is disappointing. But, uh, but yeah, definitely, I definitely want to, I definitely want to know more about it. But my, yeah, so my take on it after, after sort of reading that is, you know, here's a guy who's got, he's basically got his shot and he's got effectively a blank check and, and no restrictions. So he's just going to pull out all the stops and say, what's the craziest thing I could make uh, for a movie? Um, you know, like, what's the wildest idea? And, you know, okay, we're going to the moon, literally. Uh, you know, he, he, he probably figures, I'm never going to get a shot like this again. <laughs> so. I hope um, he does. Uh, so I'm going to make it count. And yeah, I. I, I hope he does, but, uh, but yeah, so he actually had, so this, so this actually was, um, you know, I mean, it's still, you know, even if it's a, even if he borrowed a full million, uh, that's still considered low budget by, you know, like Hollywood term. Yeah. Uh, sure. Sure. So yeah, I guess, so like the music was a huge expense. Um, the, uh, the, the, the replica lunar module cost $80,000 to build. Wow. Yeah. You know, I was wondering and that that's that's an interesting point. I w- because I was wondering if that was if they had actually built that or if it was um if it was just a uh, like really good CG. You know, I didn't know if maybe it was like they shot it against a green screen or whatever, but I guess they had to interact with it enough that they had to actually yeah. build something at some yeah. point. They actually built it. And he talked about this too where like they have the scene of them building the lunar module and building the set. And, and that, that basically what they did was they built a set, they filmed themselves building a set. And then that became the footage right. that you see in the movie. He's like, if, you know, if, if this was a Hollywood movie, like they would hire actors to pretend to be construction guys. They would pretend <laughs> to build something that we were going to have to build anyway. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. Um, and there might be rules for that. I don't know. The Teamsters might have like union rules that say, um, 
you know, oh, you know, only the, you know. Yeah, but I mean, these guys are sneaking into NASA, so you know they're not really worried about union. Exactly. Problems. Yeah. Um, their other big expense was lawyers. Um, wow, that's fair because they snuck into NASA. <laughs> well, they snuck into NASA. I would, I would NASA. lawyer up too. <laughs> yeah, they hired. Have you guys? Have you guys seen the? Have you guys seen the film Escape from Tomorrow? Which is like the gorilla film. No, but I in, just uh, Disney World. I was just talking. About I know its this. reputation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they hired the same law firm that cleared that movie. No way. Okay, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, so they found a pretty. They they found what I can only describe as a fairly aggressive law firm with one of the which has got to be one of the best insurance policies of of any law firm that, that certainly I've ever worked for or worked with. Um you know, to clear some of the things they did because there's actual, there's actual movie footage of Dr. Strangelove in Operation Avalanche. Yeah, I noticed yeah. that. And I was wondering how that, I mean, it, it's, I would argue that you, well, yeah, I would argue the way they used it was fair use because I don't think that somebody's going to like say, well, I've seen Operation Avalanche. So now I don't need to watch Dr. Strangelove. I can just get it that and way. Because you know it I mean? Because it was on a TV just, screen, right? Yeah, it was, they didn't yeah, just cut just the footage of it. Pieces. They, but you know, Columbia Pictures is going to be a lot more litigious than than yeah. you know. Columbia doesn't care about fair use. They're gonna they're gonna try to get their money <laughs> right. from it. You know, one way or yeah. the other. So that's just yeah. the way it like, always like, goes. It's like your your answer is like the normal human being answer, and it, <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it makes perfect sense. I'm surprised that they got a law firm to sign off on on an opinion that said this is fair use and this is okay because that's the only way that they were ever going to get you know e and o insurance to actually like, release this thing yes yeah. if okay you have a law firm that's willing to sign their name to it to say this is fine you know then we'll accept it and so yeah so do we now that being said though do we know that's what happened or did they go in after the fact and call columbia and say hey we use some footage from dr strange let's make a deal what do you what is it going to cost i mean us, what know? they're yeah i mean I, you know it's what you're, you're trusting a guy who you know snuck into high, snuck into nasa <laughs> to film something so but what they're yeah what they're saying is uh is is yeah that um that the that the law firm cleared it as as fair use and that's why it's uh, that's why it's in the film so, and not to turn this into a legal discussion, Patrick, but I'm really like this is something I haven't really thought about. I'm really interested. So, and the the Escape from Tomorrow is a, is an even better example because that's a that that's a movie that was shot clandestine, you know, secretly shot at Disney World or at Disneyland, one of them. Um, but there's all this there's like some shots at both Disney. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's Disney intellectual property all over the thing. So, it would seem to me that. Can you explain to me and to the audience how, after you've already shot a thing with with questionable intellectual property usage from that you don't have the rights to, what does a law firm do to come in and make that right without just spending without, I mean, without, without, without the law firm the actually paying you you know, without paying yeah, people yeah. off? Yeah. Well, so what you so so like to release a, a a movie, um, you know, like to put it on theaters or to get it on a streaming service or something, um, you know, usually you need what they call E&O insurance. And that covers the distributor, that covers the theater if somebody comes out of the woodwork because literally anyone sort of in the chain of, of custody of that film, if somebody decides that something on there is infringing their copyright, everyone up and down that chain is, is liable, including you know the movie theater that's showing it. So the movie theater's like, well, I'm sure. not going to take that risk because I didn't have anything to do with making this movie. So you've got to go get, a, you've got to go get an insurance policy from a third party that says, 
if this claim comes out, if some claim comes out of the woodwork, uh, we're covered. Um, and typically you can't get, you can't get that kind of a policy unless like your, your product uses and uses of IP and those and things like that are all licensed. And they, and I'm sure they check other things like, you know, did, did your actors sign releases saying it was okay for the, you know, that they understood they were being in a movie and, you know, and all that, uh, all that jazz as well. Right. Um, so, you know, and this comes up, this comes up sometime from time to time. Like I've seen it come up like with movie titles. If your movie title is a, a word or phrase that's been trademarked you know, for a product or something like that, sometimes you'll have to, you'll have to change, you'll have to change your title because it's easier to do that than to get a law firm to sign off and say, nobody's going to be confused about the origin of this, you know, of this, of this movie. You know, no one's going to think that this movie called hammer of the gods is, you know, based on a slot machine game in Las Vegas, which is like a ridiculous thing. But, um, I was going to say, it sounds like you're telling me that I can't make a movie called Marvel's the Avengers. (laughs) Yeah. You can make it, but no one can watch it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. You can make it, can't release it under that title. And that's the funny thing is like, you know, titles, titles can't be copyrighted, but if a title becomes a brand like the Fast and the Furious or like Star Wars, then or Friday the 13th, yeah, Friday the 13th that becomes a brand. <laughs> yeah. And now you can't, right, you can't right. call your movie. That's a, it's more of a trademark. Yeah. Than a, it's more of a trademark than yeah, a whatever. Yeah. Trademark than a, than a copyright. Um, but yeah. So, but if you can get, uh, but if you can get a law firm to basically sign off and say, Hey, everything, you know, everything is legal here. Then, then in theory, if someone disagrees and you know brings a lawsuit, now that law firm's kind of on the hook to defend, and it kind of acts as a de facto insurance policy. Uh, I wouldn't trust an insurance policy from a lawyer. That's just my personal um, preference. But uh, uh, but the fact that they actually got a clean opinion on that um, was is pretty surprising to me. It's and it's and it shouldn't be surprising. Like that should be. The way it is, like there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with the way they used the um, Doctor Strangelove footage in the movie. In in my opinion, you know, it doesn't, it right. doesn't affect the the market for the original at all. It 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 just, it's just completely, it's just completely inconsequential. But it's the kind of thing that you that you almost never see, um, you know, with your footage being used that's unlicensed and if it is unlicensed it's usually something like not of the living dead or something where there is no copyright um you know like or like a trip to the moon um you know which is is, sure out of uh out of copyright now um so it's it it, this is a really and and i've and i've I've joked with patrick before that he needs to start up a a movies and the law podcast because (laughs) i think all this stuff is really interesting um but it sounds like that um it sounds like that part of the the trick to this sort of thing is that if you find a um respected or feared enough law firm to handle this kind of thing for your movie that in itself is an insurance policy because you know for example you know disney's not going to have any trouble coming to sue at me but if I've got some big law firm that I've paid and that has, you know, agreed to defend, you know, the intellectual property usage or whatever in this movie, Disney's probably going to think twice before they get in a fight with them. Am I understanding? Is is is? Am I reading too much into it, or is that kind of 
the way it works. No, I mean that's that that's that's kind of it. Um, you know, because what's going to happen is, you know, is their their lawyers are going to are going to look at this, and that's a cost benefit analysis, right? Like, is it is it worth, um, you know, is it is it worth is it worth fighting this? Uh, you know, how much resistance are we going to see? And you'll see time and again that you know if they think they they can just steamroll right over you because you can't even afford a cheap lawyer, much less, uh, you know, an expensive one, um, then. Uh, then they're not going to think twice about about bringing the hammer. But if you have, you know, if you have somebody that they know is going to fight, and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be drawn out, and they're going to look bad in the process, and it's going to look like they're just beating up on a little guy, then yeah, they'll think twice about it and say, yeah, okay, maybe this isn't uh, this isn't worth uh, <laughs> this isn't worth the time. Interesting. Interesting. So um, that was a huge tangent. But we were, so we were talking about, obviously, they had to spend money on music licensing for the Creedence Clearwater Revival songs and whatnot. And then they spent money on lawyers. Um, was there anything, um, was there any other major expenditures that you were had read about for, for the for the budget? Yeah, I, think, I mean, those were those were the big those were the big expenses. I mean, the car chase, obviously, um, you know, took took several days. Um, and, but they used, but I think like, I think the two cars that they used, like they were owned by, um, uh, by Matt and at least one of them was owned by Matt. And, um, I don't, I don't know if he, if he owned both of them, but they weren't cars that they, you know, borrowed or rented. So they could basically just, you know, beat those up and smash them into things and, and do whatever they, oh, okay. they wanted with them. Um, so, so yeah. And the, and the lamb, the lunar, uh, the lunar module. Uh, that they built. We talked about that. That was, uh, that was, yeah. And the, the article right. I found said it was 80,000 Canadian. What's really funny is there's a line in the movie where he says, um, where he shows, where he shows Bowles the set for the first time. And it's like, they're, it's like their Capricorn one shot. Cause it looks just like the Mars set in Capricorn one with the lights yeah. and the, yeah. the fake module and everything. And he brings Bowles there to look at it. And, um, you know, and Bowles is not impressed. He's like, okay, that's pretty good. And he, <laughs> he just looks at it and goes, it cost $45,000. And, and I, it made me kind of wonder, like, I wonder if like, is that the budget for the whole movie? Like, is mm-hmm. did that prop really cost $45,000? Like, why did they pick, you know, like that, uh, that, that number. exact number? Um, so there was a time when, when, you know, 80,000 Canadian probably would have been 45,000 us, but it was well before 2016. So uh, it might just be a number they, uh, they, they picked out of a hat. But uh, what do y'all think is the most expensive found footage movie? I just googled it. Gosh, I'm I just, couldn't find. Oh, I'm I'm not an expert, so I, I couldn't even I couldn't even like. So I know that Blair Witch was like crazy cheap. That's the only one that I really know much about. Chronicle um, came the first runs. paranormal. Like I don't I don't know. Oh, I forgot about yeah. Chronicle counts, does. There's right? a lot of special effects in that yeah. one. Yeah, that totally counts. That totally and, counts. Uh, what's the the the, um, the monster movie one? Um, Cloverfield. Cloverfield. Oh, that that might be it. Yeah, that might be it. And um, the visit. How much the visit was not cheap. I forgot that was found footage. Yeah. I, I, you know Cloverfield though. There, there, I mean, there's a lot of. I mean that was a big that was a big production. Um, oh, definitely. Was Chronicle a studio movie or was Chronicle independent before it got released? I want to say it was a it studio was probably... movie because it was Landis's Landis son yeah. that wrote it, and yeah. what's his name, Trank. 
Yeah. <laughs> I think what they probably pair. had some sort of thing, <laughs> but I, I can't remember. Yeah. So the visit was $5 million. Oh, that's pretty, that's pretty is, high. Yeah. That's <laughs> high. For, that's really high for found footage, considering what paranormal, paranormal activity was what, like, like 2,500 or something. Yeah. The first one was real cheap. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if I know the visit. What's that one about? That's the M. Night Shyamalan movie where the kids go to stay with their grandparents. Oh, I still haven't seen that one, and I forgot it was found okay. footage. Yeah, Cloverfield. It looks like it was twenty-five million. Wow. So that might be our. That might be it's our. Pretty cheap for, that's pretty cheap for. Pretty cheap for a kaiju movie. Pretty expensive for a found footage movie. <laughs> <laughs> like what? Like you, probably half of that was on the creature. Yeah. I don't know what else they spend it on. I don't know. I mean, I, it doesn't look cheap. Well, it, I, I can it, say that. It doesn't look cheap. Was it, was it, I think that was Paramount. I mean, that was, was Paramount, I mean, yeah. you know, the thing about, yeah, the thing about, I, I mean, not to turn this into movie financing discussion, but the thing about movies like that is like, you know, I mean, it's all, when when it's all union, I mean, you know, I mean, it, all of a sudden, you know, it's like $2 billion to make, you know, a movie about two guys sitting on the couch right, <laughs> because, right. you know, a lot goes into it. Um, And there was a lot of, um, I haven't seen Cloverfield in forever, but, um, but yeah, I got to imagine that the monster effects and the monster design, you know, there's, there had to be a big team working on that. Um, yeah. Um, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Wild. Um, I hadn't thought about that, but, uh, yeah. Um, but this is a good one. I don't know. I, uh, I think, you know, strange feelings aside about, uh, about, you know, feeding conspiracy theories and whatnot. I still, I think overall, I, I enjoy this one. I've watched it. Uh, I've watched it three times, you know, before we decided to do this podcast, <laughs> I've watched it three more times, uh, <laughs> since then. Um, I just think it's really funny. Um, uh, like the, the performances, the performances are all really good. I think that the actors are, uh, are just, are just funny guys. Like there's a lot of little jokes and sight gags and things like that. And the attention to detail, um, to make everything, you know, sort of period accurate and to blend like the visual effects with like their actual footage. Um, like there's one scene, the scene right before he goes to the hospital, um, that's where they're in the, where they're in mission control is actual like mission control footage from, uh, from NASA that, that they, they composited themselves into. <clears throat> that's another one of those, like the Stanley Kubrick scene. That was, <clears throat> yeah, that was one that, that was one that I knew I'm like, okay, this is really, I could tell that it was like, this is actual mission control footage, you know? And so I knew that that had to be a special effect, but they did it really well. You know, the only reason, the only reason I knew it was a special effect was because I recognized the actual, you know, footage that they were using or they were cheating. So, but there is one other scene where they walk by that room in the hallway and like they stick their camera in there as they're going by. And I think that's a real shot. And cause I, I've, I, I live, so I live out near, kennedy space center in florida and i've toured i've toured out there and um you know as recently as you know 2013 2014 or so you'd walk through there and you would see those same old like dos based computers and stuff it's wild like we we went up in the uh the crawler which is like this big thing like on these gigantic tank tracks but like like the treads for this thing are bigger than my house. Like, it's like what they used to move the rockets from yeah. where they build them to the yeah. launch pad. Um, 
And so yeah. we bent, we went up in there, and like the control computer on that thing was running like Windows ninety eight. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, uh, it was uh, something else. And I think, I think since then, yeah, well, that stuff's been a lot of that's been updated, but it was a lot more. I know that. Than I know that think. when the. Yeah, I know that when the space shuttles were flying, um, you know, when they built the space shuttles in the eighties, they were flying like they were running like. Say like four, basically like four Apple IIe type computers, you know, four Commodore 60, like four like old computers, yeah. you know, from the 80s. And the space shuttles for years after that continued to use those same computers because they were old and primitive, but they, that's all they needed. You know, th that was what the ship was built for. So you didn't have to update it to, you know, um, um, you know, the latest, you know, MacBook or whatever, because that was what they, I mean, you know, that was what it was built for. So the computers that were in the ships, even though they were old, they could do the job that was required of them to get the shuttle to fly, you know. So I imagine a lot of stuff at NASA is like that, where it's engineered so precisely for this particular computer system. You know, even years after that, it's going to keep using the same computer system because that's it's built to do the job that it does. You know, if you change out the computer system, you probably have to change out a lot of other hardware that starts that 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 gets that makes the thing a lot that would make the changeover a lot more complex and, and a lot, you know, less necessary or that would be unnecessary. The thing with the crawler that you're talking about, no matter what computer in there, it's still this huge thing that's got to move a rocket from one place to the other, yeah. you know? So. Yep. Yeah. We've only, uh, my wife and I went to Kennedy once in the last few years, we were down in the area. Um, I forget. Is that is that close to? We were down somewhere. I don't remember. Is it close to Orlando or? Yeah, it's about um, it's about forty five minutes to an hour from Orlando. Maybe we were down in Orlando and we just took a day trip down to the Kennedy Space Center. But um, yeah, I love. You know, we've got one in Huntsville. Um, I think all oh, that yeah. stuff's just it's That's just really cool and really right? fun. And it's space camp. My niece and I went to my niece and I went to space camp together like three or four years ago. That's awesome. So, because yeah, she's a space nerd too, and I'd always wanted to go since I was a kid, and I was like, "Hey, I can take my niece, and that'll be my excuse yeah. to go to space camp." <laughs> Even though I'm old now, and I'm I'm twenty old to be an astronaut, but yeah. you know, um, it's um, yeah, all that stuff is yeah. I guess I need to go to Houston one day. All that stuff is really cool. That. Ever since I saw the movie, the space camp the movie, space camp. yeah. <laughs> Man, sign up your kids and take them. You could they 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 have these like family. You know, it's basically like like family space camp weekends for, you know, parents and their children, uncles and their nieces, you know, that sort of oh, thing. Yeah. So it's it's we saw people there that were, you know, they were my age and we saw people there that were like eight, nine years old, you know. Oh. So assuming that your kids are interested in that sort of thing, I think y'all would have a yeah. blast with yeah, it. Yeah, it sounds like a blast. That, that, that might be that might be something to do. They were supposed to build like a theme park out here that was going to be that was going to like simulate like living on Mars. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it would, yes. You would pay. You basically, you'd pay to like go and like stay there for like three days in this like, in wow. this, like pressurized <laughs> environment. It's like a really desolate <laughs> hotel. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was just, that's just cheap. Arizona, dude. That sounds, <laughs> sounds awful. Yeah, it didn't sound like fun. I'm I'm shocked that it never got built. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome guys. Um, this has been uh, been a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Um, I appreciate your time and uh, and thanks for you know thanks for for turning me on to, to Capricorn One. That's uh, a 
that's an underappreciated movie that uh, that I think I'm glad I I'm glad I've seen and I've been trying to get more people to watch it. Like I said, I watched it with my kids and they loved it. Um, that's yeah, awesome. They, they thought it was great, which I think which I think anytime you can show a teenager today who's grown up in this era of you know of of, of Marvel and and um you know in these big blockbusters and comic book movies and you can show them something from the 70s and they sit there and they have a good time and they enjoy it um i think that's a win yeah i think that's that really makes me happy that uh, that that's that the youngsters you know got a kick out of it but you know i i feel like um i feel like that um you know raiders of the lost ark is a good example you know the stunts in raiders of the lost ark i think are still a lot of fun and really exciting and really visceral and when you're watching it you feel like i'm i know that that's not harrison ford but i'm really scared for that stunt man you know i'm really afraid that he's going to get hurt and 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 i and i think that capricorn one is is kind of done the same way where like you know the chases and you know the airplanes and the helicopters and all that kind of stuff it still feels kind of exciting you know yeah yeah for sure yeah, and I have to thank both of you for turning me on to each of these movies. Uh, you, you guys brought way. I, I was mostly just listening tonight. I was like, okay, cool. Y'all love these movies. Let me let me soak this in. Yeah, um, and you know, it, it it also made me think. Have you guys ever heard of Hangar Eighteen? I don't think no, so. I don't think so. It's it's a it's a it's a not particularly good uh, conspiracy movie from the seventies about a um, about a um, a cover up of um a crashed ufo so it's kind of oh, a roswell cool. thing set in the uh i can't remember if it was the late 70s or the early 80s um but i was reading about um i was i was i was reading up on capricorn one today and somebody in the comments of something mentioned hangar 18 and i was like oh my gosh hangar like i said hangar 18 is not great <laughs> it's not great it's, pre- it's pretty schlocky but um I don't know. It, it might make, I'm trying to think what it would make a good double feature with. I'm trying to think of another schlocky conspiracy <laughs> movie. <laughs> I can't remember the number, but there's, there's a horror movie. Is it Apollo 11? Apollo 18? 18. 18. Apollo 18. So the, the two yeah. oh, you know, I've heard that's pretty schlocky. <laughs> I've heard that's pretty schlocky. Yeah. yeah, that it might is. be a good double feature. Hangar 18 and Apollo 18. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a future episode. I, st- I still haven't seen Apollo 18, but it's definitely one that's been on, on my list for I'm a surprised. while. It, yeah, it's it's not great, but it's it's watchable. Yeah. You know? I, I, from what I've heard, Jeremy, watchable sounds <laughs> sounds polite. <laughs> watchable also but, means Patrick might love it. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and in fairness, too, I haven't seen it myself, so um, I'm just going based off. No, I mean, right. the, it's it's not. It's not super memorable, but you're not going to want to kill yourself. It's it's a decent way to spend an hour and a half. And you put that on the box. Yeah. <laughs> you're not going to want to kill yourself. <laughs> you're Oh man, um, that's uh, that's probably a good note to close on. I doubt we'll find a uh, better punchline than that for the whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> you're welcome. Absolutely. Yeah, Jeremy Chance, thanks so much. Uh, Jeremy, also you dust on the VCR, your Substack. We didn't mention that yes. earlier when we were talking about your stuff, but I'll put a link to that uh, as well. So, and thank you go. both for for supporting that and for Chance for picking a good movie. And Patrick, I know you've got one coming soon. So, uh, yeah, really appreciate that. Oh yeah. Do do you want to, do you want to spoil us on what Patrick's pick is, or has he made the pick? He yet? he said that he's going to make me watch something awful. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I, I'm trying to remember. Did I tell you? Did I tell you what it was yet? 
you had a few ideas, but uh, I can't remember if you. He's still working yeah. on it. That that that's that sounds like that's quite a teaser for uh for for um for 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 your stuff, yeah. Jeremy. <laughs> Tune in, stay stay tuned because Patrick's gonna make Jeremy watch something yeah. coming soon. Yes, I'm gonna have to. Oh, I remember. No, I remember what it was. It was um, it was uh, uh, shit. What's the name of it now? Um, Chance, you know this movie, um, Jack Flack, um, with the kid from ET. Cloak and Dagger. That's right. Yeah. Wait, Jack Black's in Cloak and no, Dagger. No, no. The character's name is Jack Flack. Uh, it's Dabney Coleman. Oh, it's a Dabney yeah. Coleman. You know what? I have, so somehow because that's like totally my jam. Like that's the kind of movies I watched when I was you know a teenager or a kid. Um, I never saw Cloak and Dagger. Really? Oh wow. Yeah. Um. Um. So I need to see that one too. Um. I can't wait to see what Jeremy has to say about <laughs> it. That'll. I'm sure that'll inspire me to actually go and watch it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, also, I've sure. not seen this, so it's uh, I won't. Yeah, it's crazy. It, it's crazy how Dabney Coleman kind of owned the '80s. You he did. Know? He was. Everywhere. I mean, he was all over yeah. the place. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's and he's in the and he's in the movie twice. <laughs> you did miss he's, as two, two different, different, yeah, two different that. characters. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> no, but that was well. Don't don't spoil it all. The, for well, us. I mean, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> it's the same guy, and they and they. I mean, it was, I think it was. I think they even marketed it that way. I, mean, I think the trailers. Um, it was doing the same thing as like the Parent Trap. You know how they advertised the Parent Trap, and it was like hey, starring Haley Mills and Haley Mills. They did the same thing, I think, with Dabney it's Coleman. Dabney Coleman and Dabney. Coleman. Wait, is, is this oh like gosh. a Jekyll and Hyde thing where he's cloak and dagger? Is that is that what we're doing here? <laughs> we should do a we should do a <laughs> podcast where like I, I I we come on and I I I basically sell you on a movie to watch just by telling you like the name and some of the actors that are in it and then you try to guess like what the movie's about what, what it is yeah <laughs> i would be very bad at that game i don't know if that's a game or maybe that might be like a um that might be like a game that might be a game show instead of a podcast that's, that's a personality <laughs> test right there is <laughs> your answer to that determines what kind of personality type you are right awesome guys well awesome i appreciate the uh, appreciate it i uh, i know it's getting late in the evening so um yeah later fun. for you than us but um but yeah i guess it is getting about that time but um seriously great to see you guys um like on yeah. um jeremy hopefully i'll see you in a couple weeks in person yes indeed and um and patrick um hopefully i'll see you again on another random zoom yeah. call at some yeah, absolutely. point and i'll have to get up there for sidewalk one of these uh, one of these days one one of the years yeah hopefully without the virus Hopefully we're gonna have a year. Yeah, hopefully we're gonna have a year that's not crazy in a, in a few years, but we'll see. You know, so far it seems like everything is like more chaotic every year. Right. So, goodness gracious, goodness gracious. Um, okay, on that depressing note, I will let you guys go. Uh, y'all All take right. care. Thanks, guys. Good to see y'all. Bye. Bye.